Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Ah, yes. National Jump to Conclusions Day postseason edition. All eight game ones are in the books. And it's going to be really interesting here to parse out. I think that in most of these series, these game ones are going to augur very much so what the series is going to look like going forward. But I want to start by going over the two where I'm not so sure about that. And we can begin with Sunday's classic finish of Boston-Brooklyn. An absolutely phenomenal game where it seemed like early on Boston's Boston's defensive execution in particular was incredible. They were contesting on Kevin Durant. They were putting hands not only in passing lanes, but on dribbles that he was doing. And it seemed like everything was going was going really well for them defensively in terms of execution. The Nets were down one point at the end of the first quarter. And Kyrie ended up with 39. And we had this classic finish, which, of course, we will get into. I, I, I it, it was an absolutely delightful game. It didn't have the stakes of some of the other great first round games of the last few years. We we talked you and I chatted about this a little bit before we started recording. But in terms of the enjoyment of the game and the the execution at times, emphasis for at times. I loved it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um I thought to me the biggest theme that took place throughout the game was Boston's energy early on and just how incredible that was how locked in they were on who they didn't need to guard and who they did and how difficult they made it guys were just apparating out of nowhere Jalen Brown Marcus Smart Jason Tatum Derek White these great help defenders from the weak side Al Horford was incredibly rejuvenated in this game he looked really fresh after a week off and it looked like one of those things where Boston should have been up 20 it felt like they should be up 20 after the first KD was completely discombobulated in the first half and just the number of crazy hustle plays that were being made by the Celtics running guys down from behind chase down blocks Jalen Brown in particular I thought had one of his best games just from an effort standpoint and, and, and I thought one of the Brown ones that stuck out to me was late in the game he got screened off at the top of the key flew all the way back and blocked it blocked a KD shot and you just don't see that happen no no it was really and Brown had an amazing chase down on Bruce Brown in the third quarter as well and then I thought though the Celtics energy began to wane and you could see Brown Tatum smart just didn't quite have the energy even after timeouts in the fourth Jason Tatum ultimately went 45 minutes in this one Al Horford 41 Brown 40 smart 36 and 
I think also actually part of the reason why they were able to have so much energy in the first was all the stoppages. Oh, oh, really? There, were, there where, were some stoppages in the first quarter? Yeah, yeah. Steve Nash said in his after the first quarter interview that it looks like it's going to be a foul game, <laughs> which I thought was just a great way to describe it. There were more fouls in the first quarter per ESPN stats and info, 18, than in any other first quarter of a game this season. And there's a few of those they could have let go. Like there are a couple of over the backs where the guy wasn't going to get the rebound anyway, that type of stuff where you could just let it go. But guys were playing hard and it was really intense out there and that was a big part of it so boston's effort they also were just killing them on the offensive glass they had 40 percent offensive rebounds through three 126 offensive rating through three and then at the start of the fourth bench units kd out of the game the nets won the the non-kd minutes by quite a bit actually in this game they were plus 14 when kd was off the floor wow yes and Kyrie went absolutely crazy right at the start and not only was he hitting a bunch of iso jumpers he got peyton pritchard he where that was just a a matchup where Pritchard has absolutely no chance uh, to guard him at all. Just went on a massive run right at the start of the fourth. It was 96-85 at the start of the fourth quarter, and a 15-2 run. Two Tatum free throws were all they had, put the nets up. They actually finally went up as much as 102-98 was their largest lead on a Kyrie layup with 722 left. And they just found ways to get stops the Celtics were blowing a lot of fast break opportunities Jalen Brown missed some big layups and Kyrie was actually back there with verticality forcing him to miss a few they had some ugly turnovers in transition as well and you saw again guys running out of gas Tatum had an amazing block on KD when he came back in the game but then just couldn't run the floor for the resulting fast break and I think it was Al Horford missed a tip dunk on on that off of a Brown miss and yeah and Horford thought he had enough burst in his legs to get that tip dunk and he did not and so that's part of what he didn't quite get over the rim which is part of why that happened yeah so let's and, and we'll get to the end of the game but I just thought that was a big part of how the Nets were able to come back was just the Celtics couldn't quite make those same but plays in, in the juxtaposition and, from yeah. that to the I believe it was a 14 to 2 run or something like that that Boston had at the beginning of the third which originally busted the game up when they played with a ton of energy and yeah. and and got some shots to fall but I, I thought that they you know the difference between the beginning of the third and the beginning of the fourth was fascinating Yes. Yeah. Coming at, coming out of halftime. And Brooklyn has some guys like Bruce Brown that'll play hard, Claxton, but not to the level of Boston. And so when both teams has the same amount of energy, Boston is going to be playing harder than them. Um, talk about a few strategic things that evolved throughout the game and some observations Seth Curry got off kept them in it really in the first when Boston really had the tidal wave of emotion right at the start he looked very good he was able because remember he was so limited in that game against Cleveland on Tuesday he was able to put his foot in the ground get separation for a jumper early on he drove a a closeout got right to the rim hit another three in the first then they kind of went away from him they went more with Dragic later on as the game evolved and Dragic actually looked like he uh had his sea legs 14 points six of 11 plus 17 and they were playing him at the three a fair amount of the time uh although maybe they played him a little bit too much at the end uh, on some possessions where they could have used a little bit more defense um 
What else did, popped out to you early on in this one? Something that we anticipated before the series, which was Brooklyn's lack of perimeter size creating opportunities for the Celtics. Not opportunities they maximized every time, but like I thought in the early going, Daniel Tice did a nice job. They were putting smalls on him very often to try to get on the offensive glass. See if you get something there overall. You mentioned Boston. They had a 39 offensive rebound rate over the course of the full game. I think it was 40 or over 40 in the first three quarters. So taking advantage there, I thought that KD, you know, overall nine of 24 from the field, some of that was him missing shots that you normally see going, but I thought a lot of it was Boston doing an incredibly good job making things difficult. In the first yes. half, he did not get good shots. In the first half. Yeah, in the first half. Yeah. And, and that's even by, by his, his standards. Yeah, like if, if we've watched KD for a long time, like good shots for him, you know, bad shots for most people are good shots for him, but there still are bad shots for him and he had to rush a little bit and also was turning it over exactly. which is what had yeah three turnovers yeah. in the first quarter four overall in the first half on his way to six in the contest and i thought that getting after his dribble usually with a second defender made him think a little bit i thought that the celtics running a pretty narrow rotation only eight guys played and the starters as you mentioned other than daniel tice played a played a ton you know 36 to 45 depending on the player and also the balance that we saw for the nets the entire game of Drummond versus Claxton. I mean, they ended up playing all 48 minutes with one of the two on the floor, but it was Claxton coming off the bench, but getting the lion's share of the minutes. Yeah. And Brooklyn's defense really came together much more when Claxton was out there and he did struggle to guard Tatum in isolation, but he at least gave them another option there. I mean, it was very interesting that they made him the primary matchup on Tatum. I remember early on in the season, they had him as a the primary matchup, I think, guarding like Chris Middleton in a game against the Bucs, for example. And Tatum doesn't come off screens as much, so it wasn't quite as difficult for him but just having Claxton shot blocking out there having him as more of an option on the pick and roll uh Drummond really I thought struggled even on the defensive glass where for years and years he's been this NBA rebounding champ but his teams don't rebound better when he's on the floor and he's just not really a good defensive rebounder when you think combine boxing out and his own getting a defensive rebounds and he didn't even do that in this game he only had three defensive rebounds he was negative 13 in only 17 minutes Claxton as you mentioned played the other 31 and Tatum was the main guy guarding KD, which was pretty incredible when you consider that he played 45 minutes and also had the offensive load that he did with 31 points, eight assists. Tatum really didn't do much early on attacking off the dribble, but I think he had seven assists at halftime, and then he went to work in the third uh, as a scorer. But I, KD really didn't find any room against Jason Tatum in isolation. Tatum, I think, blocked his shot twice, I want to say. At least once. And, and he got he got another, yeah. uh, was that, he blocked a Kyrie three as well? Oh, yeah, maybe maybe that's what it was. So he was he was credited with two blocks and also just made a lot of plays as a help defender early as well. And especially with Drummond out there, the Nets just didn't have any room to operate in the paint. Uh Oh, something else from the early going. Yeah. I thought Derek White's driving worked really well against the Nets because they're playing all these limited defenders. And so get in there and hope that you can create something. A lot of times that was a corner three for somebody or just kick it around. However, at the same time, yeah. especially when when uh, Claxton was on Tatum, so they didn't really have anything. Exactly. And then the other wrinkle that I would like to see Boston do, and I'm sorry, you've heard this before from me, is more pass fakes because Brooklyn was in rotation and they were kind of auto passing it. And if when 
to teams like that, you can actually often create a better shot by just pass faking and taking it yourself. And you do run the risk of kind of stalling it out. But generally, Brooklyn was scrambling hard enough that that's not going to happen. Also really big early on was Horford hitting a couple of threes, including one off the dribble, which was in a, I guess it would have been a four or five pick and roll at that point. I also thought actually part of why Boston was able to get off early was Tice getting into foul trouble and going out of the game. And that's part of why Horford had to play so much. But Tice was really a liability and a big part of Kyrie getting Brooklyn going in the second quarter was at the expense of Daniel Tice when he came back in. Tice only played eight minutes out there without Horford and I think those were some of those minutes Tice got his third so that sequence Kyrie first he hits a three with Tyson drop coverage this is the Kyrie only minutes that they again managed to win in that first stint uh, then they switched it and because everyone's loaded to Kyrie set up an open three for Curry that missed then they set a transition screen Tice was not there Kyrie hits another three and then he also got a three-shot foul on Tice right after that so it was and that was mercifully Tice's third but like Tice is gonna have to play I mean they really like Pritchard has to be spotted extremely carefully I would put him on in the KD only minutes rather than the Kyrie only minutes because I think you know KD obviously Pritchard can't guard KD but KD isn't really going to get it nice so like you can do more you're not you don't have to just switch Pritchard onto KD the way you do with Kyrie probably um so yeah Boston is very thin I mean these guys had to play this many minutes for a reason and it's not like they're maybe they could try Neesmith in the next game like he's got he's the only guy that maybe at least has some athleticism to come in maybe they could play more Grant Williams although he he was negative 17 he kind of struggled in this one too maybe play would they go consider going with Grant Williams at center you know that's a look that they tried back when he was a rookie against Miami but they haven't really gone to that at all yet this year so yeah Brooklyn has their depth problems to be sure you know they they had Kessler Edwards playing four minutes and that was it uh outside of their top eight but Boston has those as well man it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015 and I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and I ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house 
Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us uh what else do we need to talk about just generally strategically marcus smart's defense overall in this game i mean i thought there were a couple times where he was getting away with more contact than other people but generally speaking he was everywhere it was incredible no it was and i mean there was one play in the second quarter where he got the ball knocked away from him and then just dove on the floor and just took it away i think it was from Kyrie who was there uh and he was a big part of them surprising kd with some of these hustle plays and the amount of ground that they were covering um Another thing that was really interesting was the Nets didn't really go much with Bruce Brown on Tatum. Instead, they put him on Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown missed some good shots early from the mid-range. But he did a really nice job of finding time, particularly in semi-transition, to attack Brown. And I thought Udoka did a great job of recognizing that Jalen had the advantage in the Battle of the Bronze. That was a huge play late, which we'll talk about, where they called a play for him to attack there. And basically, anytime Jalen tried Bruce Brown, he got very nice shots and either got by him or got to the foul line. So that that's going to be an interesting thing to look at going forward you know, would brooklyn consider putting bruce brown on tatum instead because tatum doesn't have quite the same power or first step as jalen does obviously he's a better shooter and could shoot over him uh but they need to get more production out of bruce brown defensively um another big issue with the offensive rebounding was when claxton got switched out to the perimeter he just would stand out there yes instead of actually like as soon as the ball the shot went up or if there was some passing action underneath or something he just wasn't trying to get back there he's like well i'm guarding jason tatum so uh seth curry you get there and there's one play i really remember where claxton is just standing at the top and it's like 
Tice and Al Horford against Seth Curry and Dragic and yeah of course you're not going to get the defensive rebound in that situation what did you think was the Celtics best lineup in this game the starting five white in for Tice the starting maybe? five except with with white in for Tice I, I really liked white's hands yeah. on defense and then I liked the way that he could attack when you needed it on offense but also didn't you know he didn't take bad shots he didn't take selfish shots to me at all um despite the fact that it felt like boston was dominating there were 17 first half lead changes and then boston of course got that 15 point lead late in the third by tatum going off and the defense continuing to be really good uh one thing that the celtics did i thought pretty well was they were just physical with kd off the ball yes um i'm sure that that will be part of the tape being sent to the league office about this series by brooklyn that there's supposed to be this freedom of moving off the ball and KD. And, you know, I mean, that was the playbook on KD going back to the Tony Allen days. Now KD in an era with a lot more spacing and he's just a better dribbler now than he used to be. So it's hard. Taking away his off-ball game doesn't do all of it. But really what they were doing was when a big would screen for KD, they were almost basically, it was like they were hedging an on-ball screen where until usually Tatum would get back into contact with KD, off the screen the big would just kind of run with them and they would just be doubling kd off the ball because they didn't want him curling off a screen to the foul line getting a pass where he could just rise up with nobody on him and i thought that was a good strategy they beat it a couple of times finding the big there was one miscommunication where horford just stayed there and tatum kind of got back and then they were kd had the ball and he was still getting double and he found the the guy rolling to the basket but that that was pretty good um let's see what else was there it was just it was such a feast or famine defensive game for Kyrie in this one couple of huge plays including in transition and then other just absolute whiffs yeah including on the last play of the game oh yeah but yeah and just another couple of plays where that were just huge mistakes for the nets like nobody came back to help Kyrie inbound the ball and he tried to inbound it and Marcus Smart just stole it and went in for a nasty lefty dunk or or that play where I think it was Claxton missed missed a free throw and no nets understood what was going on and they gave up an easy layup oh yeah I think that was in the third I think too yeah yeah Claxton's free throw shooting is gonna be an issue in this series he was one out of five and I think we'll probably see to some extent more doubling of KD and Kyrie off the pick and roll when Claxton is involved and forcing Claxton to make a play on the short roll and then hey if he gets in right for a dunk you can always just follow him and he's going to hit under 50 percent as long as you don't have too many guys in foul trouble um which, but Kyrie which, did which have everyone five did in this too, game yeah. seemingly everyone was in foul trouble at some point yeah so this 15 to 2 Nets run that was fueled partially by transition flubs and stops by the nets but flubs by boston Kyrie again just getting some really difficult plays in isolation during that stretch he beat Derek white he was making some beautiful passes he set up a bruce brown dunk he had two threes in a row including uh off of a fast break turnover that got it to 98 95 within about two seconds then he blew by tatum there's no help at the rim got him within one and then they doubled him KD hit a three that was the point at which Tatum was so exhausted that Marcus Smart went and doubled Kyrie expected Tatum to come up from the corner off of Bruce Brown and Tatum just was so tired he never even moved at that point uh there was another three that Kyrie hit on Smart the one that 
put the nets up three and seemingly in control in the last minute where smart just like did not have his normal pressuring energy and Kyrie was able to kind of rock him to sleep and shoot a jumper over him which you just don't normally see necessarily from smart Jalen Braun on the play where the nets took a two-point lead with a minute 20 left Durant got around a trap got to the baseline kind of lost it when Jalen Braun came over to help and then Braun just like couldn't make a second effort and KD just hit a jumper over him after Braun like never moved for the loose ball or to contest or anything like that um should we talk about the end of the game now we can do that. Where do you want to start here? Well, I, in general, we don't have to go into the every single possession. Um, the Celtics tried to, this is something that they've done against other teams too, is that have small defenders out there was to actually have Derek White be the pick and roll ball handler as a driver, knowing that the Nets wouldn't want to leave Tatum as the screener and then White could get downhill and, and potentially finish. So he got a nice layup out of that. Then the next time down, the Nets switch and then White didn't recognize that and instead tried to go at KD and ended up turning it over on the baseline. Claxton had a couple of plays on on the roll, the short roll that he just couldn't finish. Uh, and then Kyrie hit that ridiculous three from the left wing on Smart to go up by three. And that's where Ime Udoka called timeout with 45.9 left. Great time to call a timeout here, down three at that point much as everyone says it, you don't actually need a three because there's plenty of time left to get the two for one. And they drew up a great play. You just have, you just have to go to quickly do that. if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. And so they did go full court. They spread the floor. The Nets still, I thought they could have gone with another defensive player, although I'm just not sure who that even is at this point. Like Dragic hilariously actually was the defensive sub for Seth Curry. He just has a little bit more size, but they weren't going to bring Kessler Edwards back in the game in that situation. James Johnson is no longer on the team. So, and they've still got Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. I personally, I think James Johnson would have been more useful to them than Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge, but those guys are guys that they just enticed to come there on veterans minimum contracts and they couldn't release those guys before it would be at this point in the season where they released Johnson. Johnson just doesn't have the cachet of them, but uh so they got Jalen Braun with the spread floor going right at Bruce Braun. He blew by him for an easy layup. And that all happened within seven seconds. And, and it then was a, a great was play. Was this one the ridiculous defensive possession for Boston where like Marcus Smart got screened but still made it back to Kyrie and then KD got it and Tatum was on him and they just didn't get a good shot? Yeah, yeah. The, they went to, they brought a decisive double late with Kyrie trying to dribble the air out of the ball. And Horford got the ball out of his hands finally. They actually chased him all the way across the court. He wanted to shoot that fade away going to his right i thought that Kyrie probably should have gotten off the ball a little earlier than he did at that point but just kept trying to hunt his own shot and they just did an amazing job of taking it away and then he had to throw a desperation pass out to kd and kd missed it and then no timeout horford got a nice defensive rebound Derek white he outlet it to Derek white and you know i think again it, the the way that boston played you know, no time out there you're not like okay we got to get it to jason tatum because he's our big star down one Derek White is probably the least heralded guy on the floor right then. They outlet the ball to him. Jalen Brown running the right wing. He gets the matchup against Dragic 
with nobody really back, Bruce Brown made an incredible play to go help Dragic because Brown was about to blow by Dragic on the baseline and Brown and uh, Bruce Brown sprinted over there, double teamed. Jalen Brown stepped through, made a great pass. Brown, I thought, had a very nice passing game. He was just under control. He's never going to be like, you know, diming guys up under the basket for alley-oops all the time, but he was under control, made some nice passes out. He found smart. Bruce Brown sprints all the way across the floor from having just made Jay. Uh, Jalen Brown give up the ball on the right baseline gets all the way over to the left wing unfortunately both he and Claxton the two guys who fly at people on this team flew at Smart. also, also there's no way they could Marcus Smart yeah. is taking that shot for a lot of his career not not yeah. and Smart was really hot in the first half I thought that was a big part of why the Celtics looked so good early and those guys ran him off the line but there's I mean, you can't blame them for that. They no. had no way to know how much time, how much time there yeah. was at that point. Yeah, people are like, oh, why'd they pump fake? He's like, they thought it was the last shot of the game. Yeah, oh, why, yeah, why'd they fall yeah. for the pump fake? Yeah, or, or close out under control. I mean, you you don't, like, if it, yeah, if it's if he's going to shoot that, but Smart did a great job knowing how much time it was. He drove, and then Tatum said after the game that he wasn't really cutting. He thought Smart was going to shoot it, and so he just was going to the offensive glass, which you absolutely should do on any late game possession like that when there isn't time to go the other way and kd was up top he was kind of caught in between jalen brown who relocated to the top of the floor and, and that's that shows you again just the value of practicing and getting into habits where jalen brown passed the ball to smart and then he got out of the way immediately that's a huge play right he didn't know how much time was left but jalen brown's in the lane if he just kind of is like okay smart's gonna shoot it game over then smart would have just dribbled right into him so he gets out of the way kd kind of sees him and is like oh he that's the the first pass I'm going to pay attention to this guy. He was guarding Tatum and then Tatum slipped right behind him. KD never saw him. And then Kyrie had kind of hadn't really guarded anyone in particular on the whole possession standing under the basket. And I think, you know, I don't know if Kyrie could have stopped Tatum, but he went for just the total matador reach, which left open the spin move for Tatum and Tatum's great footwork avoided the travel laid it in and Celtics won as you mentioned great game as you mentioned the intro I wonder where this series goes from here I don't I I mean you could see how things can work for the Celtics but can they burn the candle at both ends when they don't have a week off between games and will I think the strategy you know making KD shots as hard as they can have you know give some of the other guys those some of those shots as well that can work but it takes a lot out of the players and as you mentioned, there aren't that many other options, either in terms of foul trouble, injuries, or just relative ineffectiveness. It's going, it's it's probably their best strategy in terms of defense, but it's also incredibly hard to do. Yeah, it is. And you do feel KD played 41 minutes, Kyrie played 42. They're kind of used to that lately. And they're, the way that they play isn't as dependent on just all-out effort as the Celtics necessarily. And so I think wearing down can be a problem for them, but they're also just used to creating an isolation. And, and you can, you can kind of summon a little bit more when you have the ball and then rest off the ball a little bit more, as opposed to with guys, the Celtics guys, you just have to have the dial turned up all the time. And if you're physically tired and you're not able to bring that effort every second, perhaps that that leads to more of a drop up because I do think fatigue is going to be mass in the series. Now they do have two days off before the next game and they got two days off before the game after that. But then it's every other day after that. And so Robert Williams, they're still saying that he is unlikely to play in this series. I would be extremely surprised 
Ben Simmons, they're still talking about maybe game three, maybe game four for him. And I'm sh- surely it wouldn't be in more than a 15 or 20 minute role right to start. But I think he could do something for them. I mean, hey, yeah, welcome. Welcome to the playoffs. You got to guard Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in your first game in and, as well. And deal with getting the offensive alchemy right and potentially a team that knows yeah. a team that knows how to attack your weaknesses offensively better than almost anybody. Yeah, and I think just they really would probably like him to debut at home i would imagine as well just from like the mental standpoint i think if i were the celtics i would just hack him immediately and just see what happens if he does return but we're getting ahead of ourselves here but just to try to think of what's going to happen the rest of the series i think overall this is an encouraging game for the nets like i just don't think al horford can play like this again i mean he had 20 points and 15 rebounds six offensive rebounds hit both of his threes 41 minutes at his age i mean it's just it's hard for me to imagine that he can maintain that level of energy on the boards and he had some big finishes inside as well particularly late um it was by the way hilarious that he's basically the right-handed sabonis in the post where he just can never go left shoulder under any circumstances it's just not as palpable because he doesn't post up as much as sabonis um as far as how kd can get off for the nets in terms of adjustments I think they need to come up with something, some plays where they're going to take advantage of what Boston is doing with the big when they screen for KD. Like the Warriors used to run a play with whoever the center was and Clay Thompson. They do a wide pin down for Clay, and then the center would just slip that and go to the rim for an alley oop. So I think that's something that the Nets should look at as a possible set play. Now the Nets don't really they like to ISO, they like to drill the air out of the ball. Like they don't really move the ball that quickly, cause a ton well, of and, and it's not only it's not only moving the ball quickly. I'd like to see the Nets, and this isn't what they do, more off-ball activity just to occupy those defenders and keep them thinking about things that are not the main the main action, get a couple of mistakes, and get some easy buckets that way. KD's a good enough passer. Kyrie's a good enough passer. Also, holy shit, that pass that he made to the corner in to Patty Mills, I believe that was. Oh, yeah. He, he had like five or six great passes. Like there was one where he was attacking off the dribble and then just threw this left left-handed laser to the corner as well for a a wide open shot like he he had a very nice passing game in this one i mean there's he could still get tunnel vision once he kind of gets into his dribbling show he doesn't pass as much when he either goes quickly or he's kind of up top and then they or running pick and roll and they send another guy at him in his field of vision that's where he can be really good as a passer i do think i like that the nets generally play with both Kyrie and KD up top during an isolation because then it's harder to go with that switch double because if you double then you're leaving Kyrie Irving and we saw or, or Kevin Durant and that's what we saw that one time when Tatum was supposed to rotate up from the corner off of Brown he didn't do it um and Brown to me is better in the corner than above the break of course um you know I think just like a little bit more in terms of just KD and Kyrie interacting with one another slipping out of stuff quick trying to just get the ball on the move i think some kd iverson cut type of stuff might work okay as well to just get him the ball with a slight advantage where you can't really deny the ball on those plays and then the guy who's screening for him if you want to step off 
of that guy then you're just leaving someone wide open at the foul line like right in the passers line of vision so that's something i might think of to try to get kd open a little bit as well maybe just like a, a couple of set plays back cuts for him just to take advantage of some of this aggression and for boston i mean there isn't really much anybody can do in terms of player usage i might try neesmith instead of pritchard just to get a little more athleticism on the floor and not someone who just doesn't have as much of a target i might try as i said maybe a little bit of grant williams at center but grant williams can switch against most guys i'm not sure they want him to switch against Kyrie necessarily or katie that might not be something that he can do and if so then also he was just 0 for 4 from 3 which i think was it made things more difficult would you want to see more patty mills for the nets not particularly i thought i thought he was fine but i didn't i i don't i would not screaming for that now i mean this this series is part of why this game felt like a game seven was the short rotations and it's just there's like big wings are the guys that make it so you can't play these 82 game guys right and even patty mills kind of falls into that category defensively pritchard falls into that category like if you're not a really good two-way player then you just can't be on the floor because those guys will just cook you and put you into some sort of an action that you can't deal with as as a defender and Kyrie's kind of like that too just because he's such a good iso guy as a point guard which not a lot of point guards are like you have to you, you can't be guarding him with just like another like normal point guard size guy like he's just going to destroy that guy so this is i mean that's this strategically it feels like we're already at game five of the series in some ways especially with the short rotations and just the pressure that both these teams put on each other do you want to transition to to, to yeah. a game that was really interesting but did not feature well let, let me let me see if i can think of any more any more adjustments that i might try um i do think that the celtics could do a little bit more going at the likes of curry Dragic, and mills and, and even Kyrie even to some degree even I thought if it's smart, just so yeah. just in isolation you know they have the, the Celtics no exactly the Celtics have a lot of guys they can attack in those basic actions you don't have to involve somebody else and make things more complicated yeah and to me I mean especially like white and smart if they're being guarded by one of those guys like you don't need to like post them up just like let them dribble into a, a back down and force some help and just stress test the nets out a little bit that way you don't have to do it every time or Horford had, had it dug in there's one play where Horford is being guarded by seth curry underneath because they had claxon i think guarding tatum and that kind of messed up the matchups as well um so i think that's just one more little thing that they can do there i think tice you don't want him on the floor in the Kyrie only minutes either no and I thought Van Gundy yeah no right. you don't that's all I was gonna say yeah yeah and, and like Tice and Pritchard together that's a little a little rough because you know again I think KD is gonna kind of get his but he's not as much of an issue playing out of pick and roll or like Tice if Tice switches on to him he can kind of stay with him a little bit and, and then you know at least KD is probably just gonna hit a two-pointer and whereas Kyrie he's gonna hit a three out of pick and roll I mean Kyrie Kyrie is shooting the ball unbelievably well right now. I mean, this is just every single shot he takes, unless it's just so incredibly contested, you just expect it to go in. Like he, if he's open, it's just down the hatch. Like he's made himself into like one of the greatest shooters in NBA history.
history like he is ridiculous right now um and he's doing it almost all off the dribble too so yeah i, I think you they just really got to watch it with tice i would try to if it's tice and no horford i would try to do that when it's the kd only minutes but hey you know Kyrie irving played 42 minutes so it's not like uh or even when it's both of them just because and van gundy said this too like Kyrie, they got to get Kyrie more involved uh and Kyrie, by the way 39 points on 20 field goal attempts they also fouled him a lot too that was that's one thing i think they could both teams really could clean up is the fouling ideally and, and i think they will all right I, th- I think that's about all i got at, at this point but yeah i mean there's there's not a lot to go to strategically for for either of these teams it's just going to be who can last in this battle right now and if the celtics had robert williams i think their physicality would have just been too overwhelming for the nets but i honestly think this could be anybody's series and we'll see you know the game two is going to figure we'll see whether this is going to be a comfortable celtics win or not i think in game two and maybe the celtics will blow them out also this is another example too of just anytime the nets get a lead they just look they let up they Kyrie and KD like make some mistake defensively or like Kyrie just lets Marcus Smart drive right by I was like you should be able to stay in front of Marcus Smart and just like an isolation off the dribble Kyrie and just there once they got back into it it was just like all right you know we can just uh we'll just win it on offense now um BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a show room rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Yeah, let's get to the next game here. The other one that was really surprising. And... Let's just talk about how it happened first and then how much our conception of this series has changed. Memphis 
and Minnesota. I thought that the early going set an interesting tone for the rest of the weekend because there was a lot of chatter on Sunday about rest versus rust and the the eight seeds who got beaten by one seeds and oh you know the the disadvantages there. It's true Minnesota only played one game as opposed to two. But also, I thought that early on, Memphis's rotations, and I mean their defensive rotations, and we'll talk about their other rotations as well, were not as crisp. It took them a little while to get into it, whereas Minnesota was sharp, and they were they knew what they were doing. They were getting into it early, and I thought that was a big part of their 41 points and their 41 to 33 margin after the first quarter. After that point, Memphis looked better, but they were still coming back from this deficit, and that I thought that made a huge difference in this game. Yeah, I mean, problem number one, is just like Anthony Edwards is playing like a superstar Incredible. right now in the two postseason games. Like he's he was the best player in this game. Like if he's going to outplay John Morant and offensively, you know his jump shot looks fantastic. He's going to have some games where he shoots it a little bit more poorly. And but what most impressed me about this game, both for this series potentially and also just for the future of Anthony Edwards, is he was huge defensively. Absolutely. I, I thought in this one, he yeah. Go Anthony ahead. Edwards scored 36 points on 27 shooting possessions in his first playoff game. I thought he was better on defense than he was on offense. He was blowing up actions. He was taking away a lot of what Memphis wanted to do, which got them completely out of sorts. And Memphis relies a lot on on getting kind of getting into their stuff and he was making second efforts he was getting you know navigating screens pretty well and using that size and and going back you and i were interested in edwards defensively partially because of what he could do given the potential offensive workload as a as a kind of a secondary defender that he has the size that he can defend multiple positions he did a damn great job as a primary defender while taking that kind of volume in game one yeah, he didn't guard John Morant the whole no. game, but Beverly had that assignment most of the way, including at the beginning. And Ja went crazy in the first half, but he did guard him at times, I think maybe towards the end of the second, but then at the, in the fourth quarter, and he really caused problems for him. And then when it wasn't him, it was Jalen McDaniels playing great individual defense, or Jaden McDaniels, sorry, playing great individual defense on Morant as well but there are a couple of plays where Ja tried to run a pick and roll and Anthony Edwards just got over the screen and blew it up and Ja couldn't get by him and then another time they were trying to run an ATO for Ja and Edwards got out and denied him and they had to just go another direction instead and then he also made two big stops at the rim on Ja in this game and that was just to see the Memphis Grizzlies the young athletic team that gets out on the fast break and kills you on the glass they got beat athletically in this game that's something that dylan brooks talked about as that they just they didn't get their hands dirty enough and i would agree with that to some extent but also another problem is just that uh Anthony Edwards with some of his isolation jumpers they don't really have guys that guard him that have long arms like Dylan Brooks and it's, it's a part of Bain. it's a part of why some of those guys fell in the draft a little bit is the is the idea yeah. that they they can't be that kind of player and Zaire Williams isn't ready for that yet maybe he will be in a couple of years but yeah I thought he looked okay in during his brief cameo and he, he was a big part of them forcing 11 turnovers in the second quarter but uh yeah Edwards was able to get to his spot pretty well they also started with Dylan Brooks on D'Angelo Russell and Bain on Edwards and Dylan Brooks is their best defender Dylan Brooks also got very close to foul trouble of course uh, and fouling out a couple of those actually he had some contests that I thought he, he had a rough whistle on 
but I think they felt like it, they went for the idea of like, hey, we're just going to lock up Delo. And Delo had had, I don't think Brooks, he played in maybe one of the games, maybe he didn't play in any of the regular season games. And Delo averaged 31 points against them. I do feel slightly vindicated, at least by game one, that Delo was going to struggle. And like, you know, Jaron Jackson had a couple of, of big blocks on, on Delo from behind, just where they, he was just too athletic for him. So they did shut down Delo, and, and Brooks was a part of that, but Edwards went off and, and Edwards in particular, I love how he comes out and sets the tone for them early. Like he had seven quick points in the Clippers game, and then he really attacked early in this one as well. So yeah, I mean, if Anthony Edwards is going to be the best player in this series, then the Memphis Grizzlies are going to be in trouble. I don't know if Edwards can keep it up, but certainly two games into his postseason career, it's been incredibly impressive. Um, I think we need to go next though, Danny, to Carl Anthony Towns and the matchups against Carl Anthony Towns, who, as we predicted going into the series, the initial plan for Memphis was inadequate. The initial plan partially being Steven Adams, who has had trouble with Carl Anthony Towns for years now. And that just, I mean, it just didn't, it, that, that didn't work particularly well, but Jaron Jackson was in foul trouble seemingly the entire game. That's a part of why Taylor Jenkins had, had deeper rotation, but it, it, none of it, none of it really worked too well to me. Did you see something later that did? Well, let's, let's talk first about what failed. Um, I thought Kyle Anderson was, did the best job on towns, but, Stephen Adams is pretty slow. He's never dealt well. He's just not doesn't have the great understanding of of angles and space and dealing with pick and pops, dealing with drives. You could tell that the plan was keep him off his right hand, but they went so far with it that a couple of times Towns is able to start left and get back right because he's able to like curl around him back to the right because they were so crazy with it. When the Clippers went way hard to his left hand, like they're almost standing like James, the way the Jazz used to do with James Harden, where they're just like giving him a straight line drive to his left, where it's more, no, shade him half a body to his right and then slide with him when he goes right. And moreover, Adams couldn't even execute the strategy of never letting him go right like a bunch of times towns got around him another time that just enraged me adams is like oh uh jordan mclaughlin is pushing the ball up here you know devastating at the rim transition score jordan mclaughlin i'm gonna load to him and then leave carl anthony towns wide open and carl towns will just go right down the lane for a dunk in semi-transition it was just plays like that where i was just all right it's one thing if you're too slow which he is but to also just have making mental mistakes was really disappointing and Steven Adams also did nothing uh, on offense uh he also is a big offensive liability with this because of the way that the Wolves are generally going to play the pick and roll by putting two on the ball he's not quick enough to slip out quickly on those plays and you know because usually what he does is like he'll set the screen for John then roll into the body of the guy in drop coverage and then John can use that to get to the basket and then Adams can get the offensive rebound if John misses and that's where he's so devastating but the way the Wolves play the pick and roll completely takes out his offensive game he only had one offensive rebound as well uh negative 13 zero points four fouls in 24 minutes and all of the times when the game got away from them were when was when adams was on the floor and towns did a lot of his damage although towns did play 43 minutes in this game and had 29 points on 11 to 18 but yeah i mean steven adams they're gonna start him in game two because that's just what they do but to me brandon clark and kyle anderson were the best defenders on carl anthony towns and maybe they could try jaron on him too but i i like the idea of jaron being off the ball on vanderbilt particularly at the start of the well, game and but i would start brandon clark what 
what in the next game what that ties in with to me another potentially major storyline of this game and i'll shorthand it as taylor budenholzer where yeah. one of my biggest criticisms and guess what it was true in game one of that series as well of mike budenholzer is that he doesn't tailor his strategies to his opponents it takes him too long to adjust and jenkins partially justified that memphis's bench was an integral part of their success this year 100 true and there were times in the in game one where their bench players were doing better than their starters so you run it and jaron jackson was in foul trouble so he only played 24 minutes but being being super conservative with your rotations, not understanding the kind of the scouting report, the theory of the case that your opponent is going to use, because in element, and this was something that I thought was so telling in the Boston Brooklyn series, was that they had already moved to counter punches. That was they started in some ways there because both teams knew where. Yeah, and those teams are incredibly familiar. Incredibly with familiar each other with too, each after other. Playing last year. And and also the I mean the star talent and everything else, but Jenkins seemed unfamiliar and then recalcitrant not recalcitrant I use that incorrectly but just like not not comfortable being aggressive enough to move away from the things that were not working whether it's due to a loyalty to the players who got you there or due to not being sure that the other thing is going to work as well yeah and there's something to the idea that okay we're the higher seed we're going to do what we do we're at home etc but you could see it working so poorly and what really bothered me was they put Adams back in at the start of the fourth Clark at this point has only played 20 minutes and it's just like why wouldn't you put brandon clark in and particularly because clark to me was so important to them offensively as well you know i don't know that clark another short arm guy by the way is gonna necessarily stop carl anthony towns they may have to double team a little bit more as well but and we'll talk more about that aspect in a second but clark was so important to their offense because he slips out of those screens quick that when they're putting two on the ball and gets right on top of the rim and either forces somebody to come in from the backside or jock can get it right to him immediately on those short rolls and then he just pogo's up and dunks it before anyone is even there and he also can is fast enough to get to the offensive glass whereas adams is more kind of bruising around carving up space out there whereas clark is the kind of guy who just flies in when he's not boxed out and gets a tip dunk or something like that so he to me he might have even been more important offensively and adams wasn't offense wasn't his biggest problem but it certainly was one of his problems and then you know at least clark can stay in front of carl anthony towns make him go left etc do the things that that you need to do close out to him with some speed stuff like that uh which adams can't do and and by comparison i thought that chris finch did a better job treating this like a playoff game and shifting away from things that didn't work mcdaniels was an important part of their defensive strategy also helped that he hit two of his three threes and got to the free throw line a couple times so Jaden mcdaniels played more than jared vanderbilt in this game even though vanderbilt was well well and even to the point where uh they took delo out down the stretch to put in malik beasley as well beasley was a key figure in this game made all four of his twos and was four of ten from three and was had 23 points like it really helped with their transition game got some transition threes when when they were sleeping so that was uh and russell only played 29 minutes struggled to two of 11 did that did have a a decent passing game with nine assists but i thought they did a good job of taking him out and for the grizz part another kind of mike budenholzer thing mike budenholzer is not a go at the matchup 
kind of guy and when John Morant is struggling with the athleticism of Anthony Edwards well you've got someone who's exceedingly unathletic right there on the floor and I thought they didn't even go after Towns that much in just regular pick and rolls either so they they can be much more intentional I think about their offense at the end of the game um also worth noting that the Grizz missed a ton of threes in this game. Jaron, could he get his feet set just for one well, so the gri- three-pointer? The like, you're not Dirk Nowitzki. The Grizzlies missed a ton of threes, but they also only attempted 27. Now, part... Yeah, and that, to me, was the most disappointing part of it because these Wolves are supposed to give up a, a ton of threes on the backside, rotating out of their pick-and-roll defense. They are, and Memphis did take 40 shots in the restricted area, fueled in part by by some of their offensive rebounds, but also they were, they were getting there. But still, I mean, the... You have capable shooters. You should be getting, you should be generating more of those looks, even with the, I mean, in some ways, especially with the Wolves coverage. Also interesting, we mentioned transition, and the Grizz did have technically more fast break points than Minnesota did. I mean, Minnesota put up 130. It was 130 to 17. Some of that was due to fouling at the end, but obviously. I, th- I think Minnesota, Minnesota had some weird break. turnovers in transition, as I recall, as well. Yeah, but, but in the end, the Grizz only had six steals out of the 17 Minnesota mm-hmm. turnovers, and a few of those immediately turned into Zaire Williams' alley-oops. But even when they had the 11 turnovers in the second quarter, some of those were just flubs, losing it out of pounds or whatever. And to only have six turnovers in the other three quarters was outstanding. And they kept Memphis out of the transition game. I mean, Ja was unbelievable attacking the paint early and was 16 of 20 from the foul line. Did not score outside of the restricted area, however, was 8 out of 18. And they did make life pretty difficult on him finishing at the rim at the end. But you know, Jenkins, you talked about the rotations as well. Bain, 33 minutes. Morant only played 35. Brooks only 35. Jackson was 24, but obviously that was due to the foul trouble to some degree. Um, you know, Clark was 27, but they probably needed to play him more because he was effective. I thought they could have played Anderson more as well. Like to me, I would try to play Clark and Anderson as the two guys guarding Towns and you know, then then you can bring the double on him. We we thought they were going to learn something that. from that Clippers from the way the Clippers defended Towns, and they at least didn't start there. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think they were like kind of trying to do that, little little, but bit. they started with Adams on, yeah, exactly. you know, so that's so it wasn't really yeah. Oh, but the, the plan. Speaking of Carl yeah. Anthony Towns, we have not yet talked about his dunk. Yeah, yeah. He, I can't remember who had a bad. Oh, it was Ja who had a terrible gamble at the free throw line, and then Jaron Jackson. Hey, you know what? He did have seven block shots in twenty four minutes, but he also got teed up right after Carl Towns just went like right through his chest. I actually remember at the Hoop Summit practices, there's probably still video of this online somewhere. Towns had a dunk like that coming off a of one foot down the lane on Jokic actually, who was in that Hoop Summit as well. God, that was such a fucking loaded Hoop Summit. Um, but, and then Jaron, don't get a technical right after you get dunked on like that because then there's just a stoppage in play and they can just show the replay a billion times <laughs> on TV <laughs> afterwards. Um couple other smaller notes here before we get into adjustments and just what we think the future of this series is patrick beverly took a euro foul for his third foul patrick beverly should never ever take a euro foul under any reason because he got his fourth 20 seconds later i couldn't i barely even got the tweet out before he picked up his fourth and, and had to go to the bench uh although beverly did have some nice drives i thought uh late in the third to just get the machine going set up some threes give them a little extra playmaking with, with delo struggling with that both teams were not ready for each other's sideline and baseline out of bounds plays and just gave up a ton of layups. 
on those plays um memphis would have these periods where they were getting really good shots and then dylan brooks would just take some awful mid-ranger but that said dylan brooks did have 24 points on 7 of 14 10 free throw attempts has got to be a career high for him i'm guessing let's see who can look it up faster me it is not um he had 14 as a rookie and he had um let's see is the 10 in the playoff game oh that was today or yesterday it got logged already ah okay but the 14 it was against the detroit pistons on april 8th 2018 he had oh what what a fucking tank fest that game must have been yeah that's when i think he he was famous because he played the most minutes of any rookie Mm -hmm. he might have even played like the most well so okay just briefly because we have a lot to discuss the starting five for the grizzlies in that game kobe simmons ben mclemore dylan brooks ivan rab and marcus all dude but like gasol i remember was playing like 10 minutes a game he played 34 in that one but you're right in that time period Uh, okay um by the way ben mac Lamore uh, uh, has been on some epic tanking teams including this year's blazers in any event but yeah that just he'll, he'll kind of it's like man you're just getting great shots just run pick and roll activate the defense play out of that and then dylan brooks will take like some really difficult mid-ranger but he, he made a fair number he's three or four from three in this one as well uh had his usual five fouls um if the i think we are going to see more doubling of towns i think that like the number one thing that they have to shut off though like carl anthony towns to me is way less dangerous from the wings than he is up top driving hard to his right hand or where he can also pull the three like if carl anthony towns catches the ball on the left wing 18 feet from the basket against kyle anderson i think i'm not going to double until he really like gets a foot in the paint backing down which he might be able to do against anderson but anderson can bother him he's got long arms uh, clark maybe a little bit less so but because the problem when towns gets it up top is usually it's semi transition or it's a pick and pop and you're closing out to him and so just having someone like anderson with more mo- or clark with more mobility to just shut that down and then of course you have to make him drive to his left hand out of that situation um I, i'm not as worried about towns catching the ball in like an isolation post up sort of situation like i want to make him prove that he can score a bunch of times and you don't let him just back down all the way to the charge circle but maybe wait to bring that and now if they do double go for this hey we're going to double hard on one side again i think the reverse the ball and have anthony edwards on the opposite side of towns when you enter the ball to towns so you can swing it over to him and he can rip it through and just drive right down the lane against a rotating defense would be my biggest strategy like a lot of times they have edwards enter the ball on the same side and then it doesn't work as well because they'll bring the double from the opposite side and so that edwards doesn't really have any more space to attack that way um let's see Anthony Edwards pick and roll at John Morant they got a big three out of that to push it to 10 late I think that should be a big staple of their offense at the end there was another play where Jaron Jackson Jr. was guarding Patrick Beverly Patrick Beverly pick and popped Dylan Brooks was just there like there he never even made contact on the screen Brooks never got sloughed off and then Jaron Jackson Jr. just stood there at the free throw line and Anthony Edwards I think it was threw it to Beverly and he just made a wide open three like it was just I don't know what Jackson was doing on that play the Beverly Lane violation was hilarious as well that cost them a point um all right so so any I think we've talked about most of the adjustments here um I certainly if you're Memphis match up Adams with Nas Reed's minutes I don't know how many of those minutes there will actually be um I don't really understand why McLaughlin has to play just make Beverly the backup point guard uh, playing him nine minutes that's kind of more of an early I mean if Beverly's in foul trouble then sure 
and I, also i mean i i thought not playing delo at the end was a good idea if he has it going put him out there but otherwise um have him as the backup point guard let me see if i had any other notes here that's all i have yeah don't worry the, not all of these are going to be this long these are the two like big series here uh jenkins did the well everything's going great with the bench so we don't have to put morant back in i think he ended up resting like eight minutes in the first what half. i think part of that was at one point like he was at the table but that it didn't that things didn't work as that but yeah it's, yeah. it's another it's another taylor budenholzer thing Oof. now i just got reminded that we have to talk about the mike budenholzer thing from the weekend yeah let's uh, let's no that no one. no that's not next thank god um so well but quickly here where do you think this series goes i hadn't fully comprehended and i know some other people had identified this the tactical advantages that minnesota has just by certain schematic things you brought this up in terms of the the doubling and and those elements that memphis can counter but it's not particularly intuitive for how they would do it especially for a coach who is conservative that and anthony edwards playing lights out gives minnesota i mean i thought they had a shot but they have better Better than that to me right now not only because they already won one game but because they're playing well they have these these fit things so i think they're a real threat to win this series yeah obviously if anthony edwards keeps playing like this for sure but i'm i'm not gonna believe that he is gonna be this good for every game in this suit i i don't know if he can be that consistent i mean if he can then you know he, he's gonna be they are gonna win the series and he will be moving up our prospect rankings meteorically next year and memphis is gonna shoot better from three i think memphis is gonna have a comfortable winning game too that's just kind of how these things seem to work when you're that big of a favorite but as we mentioned right like memphis there are things about them that we thought might not play as well in the playoffs so the fast break stuff the rebounding being very foul prone and inexperienced half court offense being kind of mediocre which goes into being reliant on fast break points a deep team that would crush guys with the Tyus Jones bench units but when Carl Anthony Towns plays 43 minutes there really are no bench units for him to crush so we'll see this is gonna be a lot of pressure on taylor jenkins now he to me is the number one potential fall guy for this group because i do think they have the personnel to make it difficult on minnesota and they just and they have to just play better defensively i mean that there's just and not playing adams nearly as much is a big part of that for me and is he gonna have the balls to not start adams in game two i would be shocked absolutely shocked if that were the case as a number two seed you lose once to not so just the mentality that i would not start adams it's just not his matchup but that's me i'm usually more aggressive with these adjustments than a lot of people than even the more aggressive coaches are and taylor jenkins oh can we talk about taylor jenkins challenge the guy who never challenges decides to waste a challenge on that it was in the i don't remember it as it was in the fourth yeah, quarter i don't remember it as well as you do so i'll let you yeah what was it that he challenged it was one of the worst challenges i've ever oh yeah seen. and then they and then that they couldn't have, what the part i do remember is that they didn't have the challenge left and then there was a play where malik beasley had stepped out of bounds kevin durant style and passed it in and then they got a d'angelo russell three but that could not be looked at that part i remember yeah that uh, yeah beasley l tried to save it clearly landed out of bounds and then threw it off of somebody let me see what what did he actually waste this challenge on oh yeah it was this charge attempt by zaire williams where he like slid into carl anthony towns barely made contact like not even with even a single part of his chest just like slightly with his arm it was had no chance like it was an and one so i guess they're like well hey it might get overturned but and then they also wasted a timeout on that but yeah then they didn't have the challenge when 
it was a clear overturn after that and the players were saying it at the time and usually when the players i would trust the players the most on those out of bounds calls and out of bounds calls have by far the highest percentage chance of winning the overturn but yeah that three was huge though in the end memphis won relatively comfortably bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk now about the other games on Saturday. They're going to happen Monday in case people are listening to this in order, which that's how people most of listen to podcasts. So they probably are. I thought Jazz Mavericks was fairly dispiriting in part because it was an it was a reminder of how this series is going to can go, how I think it is going to go in less than until Luca is available for the Mavericks, where I didn't think Utah executed particularly well. I didn't think that their offense looked great. There was the of course the the wild stat which um Stefan No pulled from NBA stats that Donovan Mitchell passed the ball forty nine times, only one of them went to Rudy Gobert. Gobert only took one shot in thirty five minutes, but was still the best player on the floor. But so so all these problems for the Utah Jazz, and yet they still won. They still won by six, and I thought they could have won by more. Yeah, the Jazz really struggled to shoot the ball early on. Boyan Bogdanovich saved them yes. with 28 in the first half. And Mitchell didn't score in the first 18 minutes of the game. Then he had 17 in the third. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned Gobert. I mean, that's the place to start with the Dallas shot distribution and how they just could get nothing going when he was in the game. Dallas took more floaters than shots in the restricted area it was 21 versus 16 they only made half of those 16 16 shots at the rim is a p- tiny number except when you're playing at golden state where nothing apparently counts, it's impossible it? to get a shot at the rim but but we'll talk about that in the next game but it was yeah like there's you could see it during the game that they were not getting anything at the rim they just had to keep pulling up for floaters with brunson and dinwiddie as the, the only guys driving to the basket and there are a bunch of plays where they would drive in and gobert would be there and then they'd kick it out and then that guy would drive gobert would be there again there was a play where i think it was dinwiddie drove on the left baseline gobert came over he got in the air dinwiddie dropped it off great pass to powell and gobert got over there and stopped powell twice in a row as well it was that was like the play of the game to me for gobert um and then gobert also was a monster on the offensive glass he didn't have a bucket but he and whiteside whiteside is better at putbacks than gobert is but that was huge for a utah team that didn't have their fastball on the offensive end and we could talk about dallas's defense which was excellent but yeah to get 40 percent offensive rebounds throughout most of the game is what that number was for utah was very impressive a couple of stats on that front both teams had a 
first shot offensive rating in the low 90s, 92 for the Jazz, 91 for the Mavericks. But that if you want to do, because you could do this with cleaning the glass, first shot offensive rebound rate. So getting that first miss in the half court, 43.6%. They had an overall 38% offensive rebound rate. But the Jazz only had a 70 offensive rating off an offensive rebound in this contest. And they only had a 66 offensive rating off of a live rebound. Super weird. Dallas transition in this series is going to be massive. That was really the only time. And they hit a bunch of threes early, particularly out of transition. But that's the only way that they can really get open shots. They can't really take any off the bounce threes. They're 0 for 6 on those. That was pretty much all Dinwiddie taking those. They The guys like... Finney Smith tried to be more aggressive, taking the three-pointer with mixed results with Luka out. Um, I thought Dallas's defense for most of the game, particularly in the first half, they just do, because you look at their personnel, even with Luka, it's like, all right, you know, Dwight Powell is probably a okay defensive center. I think he's gotten better over the years, but he's not an elite rim protector and doesn't really have elite quickness to switch or anything like that. And Kleba is really good for sure. Um, you know, Finney Smith has gotten really good to me. And I think maybe he's a little underrated because when we've seen him most often in the playoffs is trying to guard Kawhi Leonard, which is like, you know, that's just too difficult. Whereas against a lot of other guys, including Donovan Mitchell, he's pretty good. And even guys like Brunson, Dinwiddie, like they all do a really nice job of just executing the scheme, right? Like Utah, for example, loves to run pick and roll, get in the lane, and then be able to spray the ball out to shooters or come off of screens for threes at the top of the key off the dribble. And so they just did a great job of directing the ball. They wouldn't let Mitchell in particular get to the middle. That's a big part of why he struggled. He just wasn't able to use the screen. Or if he did, it was way up against the sideline. And Mitchell's not the master of snaking the pick and the roll the way someone like Chris Paul is getting into the mid-range. So they just, they don't make mistakes hardly ever. And Utah doesn't do it a ton of stuff that's going to force you to make mistakes either so i just am impressed by the way they executed jason kidd sean sweeney who's been with him forever as a defensive assistant and they really have tightened up those rotations and just the little nuts and bolts that just make it that five percent harder on every possession to run what you want to run um but then we get into the other problem this is also i mean this part of why i don't think we're going to talk about this game as much is because it basically at least on the utah offensive end played out almost exactly the way we thought it would with with them unable to score and go bare and then also with them just not having enough guys who can play it was an easy to forecast part of this series but it was still important in game one that jason kidd didn't have that many options so brunson played 41 minutes dinwiddie played 36 and then they had powell and Kleba split the center spot finney smith and bullock 44 minutes each and part of the reason they had to do that was because they didn't really have other guys bertans can drill threes but he's very limited on the defensive end and then josh green has his positive elements i thought he was disruptive defensively but the jazz were aggressively leaving him open and they were guarding him with the center they were full tony allen treatment and there was a good reason for that because green passed on a number of shots they didn't either or they didn't give him the ball and he also missed all four three-pointers that he attempted yeah and these are just like check the win corner threes that he's missing as well and he's got to take those and i'm sure he works on it a lot but it's just a clearly he just has been a huge shooting liability the whole time and then bertans another guy they tried to go to they tried to when Whiteside was in the game go with bertans at center and they just couldn't defend well enough out of that group i think they're still going to need to go back to that and just try to 
outscore them, bring him off some screens. He did hit one difficult three coming off a screen. Uh, the only, they really only have one lineup. And to Kidd's credit, he went to it a lot. And basically down the stretch with about eight minutes left, I think they stuck with it almost the entire way after that, which is taking Powell off the floor, going Kleba at center. And they don't have the most dynamic creators, but at least you've got Bullock, Finney-Smith, Kleba, and then the two guards. So Gobert has to guard someone who can shoot. And Kleba did miss a wide open corner three late that could have really changed the game as well. I mean, this was this was close at the end, but so if Gobert can guard Powell, like Powell got nothing on like his rim runs and slips to the basket, or he can guard Green. And in fact, if it's Powell and Green in the game together, which it mercifully for Dallas Lane was a little bit, I would still put the center on Green because Powell at least can roll to the basket and have some gravity that way, whereas Green can't even do that. And so you don't you can just guard off the ball there with Gobert and just have him stand under the basket the whole time um so so that was pretty good Utah committed a bunch of fouls as well that really helped out Utah and and Dinwiddie again he could have hit some big free throws that would have really changed the game as well he shot he's really a good free throw shooter and he just shot terribly for whatever reason um yeah yeah the Jazz in the third or I think it is in the fourth actually fouled the Mavs on four straight possessions three of them with off-ball fouls in the bonus yes which just that was the only thing that made the game close at the end because the Mavs were mostly struggling to get good shots but again when they went five out they were able to get a little bit more uh there was another play where Gobert had Dorian Finney-Smith totally shut down on a drive and then Boyan Bogdanovich was just ball watching and Finney-Smith threw it back out to block for a huge three at the end of the clock I am concerned and it was interesting that we talked about this on the awards pod not one day before of just Donovan Mitchell's approach in crunch time did you see that just like so many like headlong drives into traffic wild shots turnovers just not really and, in control and, not really having a plan not, and not only not having a plan but not they weren't really setting him up for success by finding the most favorable matchup out there it wasn't as egregious as some of the stuff we talked about in the memphis minnesota game but i thought he was making they were making like he was making life harder on himself i guess is probably the better way to put it but yeah in yeah and i honestly would go more to conley at the end of games and try to run a set where conley because he's just so reliable and, you, he, even and in he's going to make good yeah. decisions like it's not even about right done Mitchell can get to his shot better but the goal of it is not for Donovan Mitchell to make more shots to the opponents for the Utah Jazz to make more shots than their opponent yeah and I think you can you know Mike Conley isn't going to turn the ball over you can just activate the defense on one side run the play for Mitchell but just have Conley initiate it I still would like to see Donovan Mitchell and maybe this just isn't in his bag right now though his spot up shooting is pretty good like just be more of an, an off ball threat at times or just even just getting in the ball where the defense is not totally set when they've reversed it. Because, yeah, he just he- drives headlong. He'll just throw these shots up off the backboard. He tries to Euro step into four guys. He'll turn it over. And I mean, you mentioned how miserable his clutch stats are this year with below 40% true shooting despite a massive usage rate. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Mavs had these three great chances at the end. Kleba had a wide open corner three. Brunson worked into the lane on Conley. That's a matchup that I think the the Mavs, it's not great offense, but he's got enough of a size advantage that to get that matchup and just kind of work into the lane to the dotted line where Gobert can't quite affect it and just use his size to get a decent shot. Bullock had a wide open three and they just couldn't make any of them. And then up one for Utah under a minute to go, Royce O'Neal missed a layup, got his own rebound. They swung it around, found O'Neal again. He had not hit a shot. And I think the Mavs actually need to do a better job of not guarding O'Neal over the meat of the game. But he hit a sidestep to his right 
three, which is harder for a right-handed shooter to put him up for and ice the game. And that was that was just kind of you know the Mavs could have won this game. Like it was a make or miss league type of ending. And I would say the Mavs actually got better shots in the last two minutes. They just couldn't knock him down. So I I, I think though that the Mavs kind of blew their chance here. Um, Luca's not going to play in game two. He was there was video of him very gingerly shooting set shots and i think i still predict that game four is the earliest he could play if that's kind of his timeline it's good to see him back out there this is we're talking about a week now after the injury so yeah he's not gonna play in game two and you know maybe game three could happen but i just i don't think i mean that this was the game where the jazz shot really poorly they're not going to do that again also i mean the mavs defense to hold this team to as few three-pointers as they did how many threes did they shoot in the end Utah Jazz attempted just 22 three-pointers in this game. Yeah, and they have led the NBA in three-point attempts. I mean, that's an insanely low number. Like, the Jazz shoot 40, usually. And to play this that well was really, really impressive. So in terms of adjustments, again, you know, I'm not really sure what there is. I'd like to see Dinwiddie play more than 36 minutes, maybe. Just to, you got to get both those guys on the floor. Kleba, only 24 minutes. That's nowhere near enough. I think he needs to play center as much as possible just to hopefully draw Gobert out a little bit. The Mavs have to just push the ball in transition absolutely as much as possible. Uh, the offensive glass is where Dallas needs to do a better job as well. Gobert was great there got just like a ton of loose ball fouls and stuff like that white side was great too Boyan, don't let him get to his right hand as much as he as they did on some of these drives try to make him go left but Boyan was able to get into the post against their smaller guys and he did have a nice a couple nice spins back to the baseline on a drop step to score so that he's a, a little bit of a problem for this Mavs team if they're going to put their best guys on Conley and Mitchell and Clarkson is another guy who I think is going to be useful in this series because on some of these bench units he can kind of work his way into the lane and hit his floaters which he's pretty good at I mean if they just like you know would you try Trey Burke maybe I would try Trey Burke a little bit against some of these bench groups he's he's not in kids favor right now because he just can't defend it all but just to have someone who's more dynamic someone who can also like rise up for a mid-ranger a little bit when Gobert is in the game I think that's something they could possibly try but you know Burke has been basically buried on the bench for the last two years for a reason at this point that's about all I've got I I just I think you this was the game for Dallas I think Utah has figured them out and they'll figure out some ways to get some more threes up and it's it's gonna I think Utah is gonna beat them in game two and series will probably be over we could go to another Saturday game one, Monday game two, and that game one was in Philadelphia where the Sixers beat the Raptors 131-111. I thought this, a couple of different threads from this game. First, it has been a story for Toronto over the year. They're, you know, very good defense that they they do a lot of helping aggressively off of the weak side, off of the corners. And I thought that was a big part of why Tobias Harris got loose. He had 26 points on 9 of 14 from the field, also got to the line six times. Tyrese Maxey continuing the story of young players having really great game ones. He had 38 in 38 minutes for them. And so the support players, you know, the, the non-stars I thought did particularly well. I also thought Harden looked good. So that's one big storyline. And then the other big storyline, unfortunately, are the injuries and uh, unavailability now facing the Raptors. 
yeah with young gary with a sprained thumb gary trent jr with a non-covid illness that he's been trying to play through he, he was played poorly in this game and then scotty barnes who had just a totally unfortunate injury fortunate in the sense that it's just a sprained ankle at least reported as that so he's doubtful for game two uh doesn't seem like any of these guys are going to play and bead just stepped on his ankle and basically caused it to sprain because he hit it sideways from the inside in just a freak play so and barnes was maybe their best player in the first game Uh, i mean the biggest things that we can point to here i mean number one the sixers played exceedingly well like they hit 50 percent of their threes 16 and 32 it was an incredibly slow pace which was to their benefit but they still had 29 fast break points the sixers had 29 fast break points they were running it down the raptors throats they were beyond that philly had one turnover during the competitive portion of this game they ended up tying an nba record which is three in the contest yeah yeah everything that we were worried about and i think justifiably frankly given what we saw in the regular season was all right philly is gonna get hurt on the offensive glass they're not a great defensive rebounding no actually hilly philly just completely destroyed toronto on the offensive glass in the first half i think they had eight offensive rebounds in the first half and bead got a bunch of loose ball fouls as well they just couldn't deal with his size down there so he had four offensive rebounds that drew a couple of loose ball fouls. Danny Green was getting down there as well. Harris got one. So we thought that would be a big problem. Instead, Philly killed him there. By the way, Philly, 150 offensive rating during the competitive portion of the game when the, until the starters checked out and had 69 points on 44 possessions, 1.57 points per possession in the first half. Um, we mentioned the fast break. Toronto was would go to the offensive class, not get it, and then Maxi would just push it down the, the floor. He went crazy attacking, even in transition. Even Harden was pushing the ball pretty well also. Harris ran the lane exceedingly well. Uh, we thought, okay, well, uh, Toronto's got all these great, long, athletic defenders, and so James Harden and Tobias Harris are going to struggle. Tobias Harris actually went one-on-one a number of times. Like, he went at Thaddeus Young a couple of times before he got hurt and was able to score on him. We thought, oh, they're going to double Joel Embiid a lot, and they did, but in kind of a dumb way, and Embiid, he was only 5 of 15, but he set up a ton of three-pointers. Um we thought the Raptors would turn them over. Uh, no, actually, as you mentioned, they had basically like the lowest number of turnovers in, in an NBA playoff game in history. Um, and sadly, we may never see the series play out now due to the injuries. But obviously, Philly looked pretty good. Philly got to the foul line a ton also. But all that's, I mean, they played wonderfully. Maxi was just shot out of a cannon. 38 points, 14 to 21 from the field. Hit five out of eight threes. Like he, his three-point shooting is definitely becoming a problem. And uh, I mean, you, you started talking about the Raptors defense, though. Like, Can you elaborate on like why they were so bad? There were a number of times where I thought they had the primary action contained or at least contained oh, yeah. well enough. But then they have these aggressive instincts that have been honed over time. And so like Pascal Siakam had a few where he was guarding Tobias Harris in the right corner. James Harden, the, the primary action is contained. He takes two steps towards the right. Right. It was I remember these two plays vividly. It was one was OG. Ananobi, maybe the best isolation defender in basketball guarding Harden. And then the other one was Achua, who has shut down Harden in all the matchups that they've had so far. And 
yeah, Siakam is just like loading off the strong side corner way towards him. And that's like what James Harden wants you to do. Like make James Harden prove that he can beat these amazing isolation defenders that you have. And instead you help off of Harris and Harris to his credit has been very aggressive as a three-point shooter the last few weeks. And he just got it up quickly and, and drained it. Something I want to file away from this one though. We And again, as you mentioned, we might not see this series in the same way. Toronto actually had a 118 half-court offensive rating in this game, which is very, very good. Not as good as Philly, but very, very good. They just yeah. they didn't get out in transition that much, partially because they weren't forcing that many turnovers, and they didn't they didn't get to run. To, actually, that, that was interesting. It was only one turnover. I mean, so there were only three turnovers. There was only one of those that was live ball, and I think that was in either garbage time or garbage adjacent time. And... I I thought they got to some, you know, some decent stuff. I mean, they were 18 of 22 in the restricted area. Also took a fair amount of free throws overall. Barnes, Barnes getting there, kind of pushing, getting guys into the lane. So... Maybe there's a little bit that they that they could build from build from there. The defense will be better, and the Sixers role players. I mean, they're t- they're talented guys. Maxi Maxi's been awesome this whole year. Tobias Harris, but this is even if this is the watermark is high, this is the high watermark. That's just the way. That's just the way these things are going to go. But it's now Nick Nurse, who has notoriously played a short rotation, is without a couple of those essential players, and he might have players that can step in in, in part, but not in whole. And then there's no one to take their places at the bottom end of the rotation. Yeah, now that's going to, I mean, with these those three guys out, I mean, who the hell are they going to play? They're going to have to bring in... I mean, probably they'll start a Chua, I guess, and move Ananobi to the two. And I mean, they really don't want to play Malachi Flynn, but they play Banton. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I mean, they're they're gonna missing two starters in the next game. They have nobody who can shoot. And Trent was was so miserable with nine points on two of eleven. Still had terrible shot selection though. I, and the the thing for the Raptors is you mentioned their half court offense rating. Their overall offense rating is one twenty three. Mm-hmm. But they just got and they shot twelve out of thirty from three. They're not going to do that again. Phil might not be 16 and 32 but they'll be be pretty good i thought i, I actually we mentioned the transition earlier i mean all of these guys harden and bead and and we kind of thought maybe that could happen because of the time off but Embiid was just shot out of a cannon running the floor in transition and that caused real problems for toronto whether it was him getting the ball euro stepping around guys getting fouled or just sucking the defense in for threes and obviously maxi was is was just so fast um and he really in the third toronto did get back within 12 and then maxi just went off just blowing right by guys and pick and roll in transition going in for layups hitting threes off the dribble it was just a, a tour de force from him and i, I think the, the other thing that maybe we didn't realize that much is toronto has a bunch of guys who are just like not really very smart basketball players like boucher who fouled out uh, in a raptors record least number of minutes to fall out in a playoff game previously held by Carlos Delfino and Achua just like takes a bunch of bad shots and like you know he's really athletic but he, he does a bunch of dumb stuff and I mean Siakam is supposed to be smarter but he had a bunch of dumb plays and rotations defensively Trent takes a lot of really bad shots like he's not incredibly smart either um a couple other small notes Paul Reed was the backup center, you know, as he has been all season, right, Doc? But they survived those. They're plus one in his minutes. They're playing a pretty aggressive pick and roll coverage, and the Raps got good shots, but Reed was able to run the floor. He had a block, and 
The other thing that they did when Embiid was off the floor was they played Maxi and Harden and Harris, all three of those guys out there, so that they would have some more offensive options. I thought that worked pretty well. Um, one of my favorite calls of the season was Kem Birch flopping to the ground. The shot went up, and then him getting called for a foul when someone landed on him after he flopped, which absolutely should be a foul on him. Like you're on the ground, it's a, a dangerous play. Like you're you're not entitled to take up six feet of space on the ground once you've been knocked down but yeah i mean this was ultimately john schumann said it was the third most efficient offensive playoff game in the 26 years of play-by-play data according to him so yeah i'm not sure what the raps can do here now at, at this point like one of their best things on offense was barnes attacking smaller players siakam wasn't really able to get much going when Embiid was guarding him he didn't seem to have a ton of confidence in his jump shot necessarily missed it a couple there wasn't able to punish him the way we thought he could with his game having evolved maybe he's just having flashbacks to 2019 when they didn't guard him there i think that's about all i got uh, on this one any, any other like adjustments or thoughts for game two i mean i think they're kind of maybe more van vliet pick and roll up top uh and he, he had a good game he fouled out in 36 minutes but uh they're gonna have to go to that a lot don't really see what else they can do a lot of here i mean you're gonna play armani brooks or Svima mihaliuk just to get some shooting on the floor then that messes up their whole defensive plan so they may be pretty cooked in this series at this point which is too bad but clearly even the way that game one went you can't say that like oh it was just the injuries for the right Raptors. like i mean i just i i feel like i got this series wrong even absent those injuries and the raptors would have had a much better chance to win in that but they had a lower chance than i anticipated even without those yeah i, I mean the raps played terribly on defense they largely got out hustled in this game which i never anticipated would be the case with some of the guys that philly has and and philly actually really almost like all the athletic categories philly won those and i just you just didn't see that coming so maybe maybe there's another gear for these guys maybe you know i did still think harden was two out of ten from two like i still have those concerns about it but he had 14 assists and they're playing mostly conventional pick and roll defense against him and he was able to just be a passer and if he could just be a passer and maxi and Embiid are going like this and harris is going like this then they're fine at least for this this round bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in california and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. For Warriors Nuggets, which is the last of these Saturday games and then a Monday game two, where I want to start is because Steph Curry came off the bench, he ended up playing 22 minutes. Steve Kerr did not turn to the Poole, Thompson, Curry triumvirate until four minutes and 23 seconds remained in the first half. At that point, the score was 41 to 40 in favor of the Denver Nuggets. Jokic made a shot almost immediately after that. Morris Morris got it into Jokic. I think that was late. I think it was like a late shot clock. If memory serves, it was off of an offensive rebound. And there was a, you know, there was a sub. But let's say even from that 41-40, 
in less than four and a half minutes, the Warriors scored 18 points to seven for Denver. And they didn't take it all the way out of touch, but got there pretty close. And it was a reminder that when this series becomes a scoring contest, the Nuggets can't stop the Warriors. Yeah, that that aspect played out the way we thought. It was, again, another example of Jokic pick and roll defense against teams with guards who can really come off of screens and hurt you whether it's the phoenix pick and roll game or this game that just the only thing they can do is put two on the ball or they're either going to just give up a wide open jumper or if they put two on the ball then they can play out of that and the warriors are some of the best in history at doing that and they don't of course have the athletes behind them there's no one else on this team really who's gonna make a play at the rim defensively or force turnovers like the nuggets only forced 12 turnovers that's not enough to slow down this golden state offense uh warriors were 16 to 35 from three clay thompson had three threes in the first quarter he was getting wide open jordan Poole had an awesome playoff debut 30 points on 17 shooting possessions and he was able to i mean he's hit these deep threes danny like he is he is getting close to honorary splash brother status at this point where he made the most threes in the league in march was shooting over 40 percent like he is he is a guy that you now cannot just like let him shoot a three off the pick and roll you gotta react to him coming off the screen he's moving without the ball he's hitting sidestep threes from well beyond the arc at this point he can also get to the basket and finish pretty well and denver really has one guy on the perimeter that could probably guard him and that's aaron gordon but then when he's on the printer you you have these possessions where it's gordon guarding whoever the ball handler is then there's a screen Jokic gets way out on the floor as well they'll either shoot it or pass it and then golden state will get on the offensive glass because their two biggest guys are all are at the three-point line golden state had 40 percent offensive rebounds through the competitive portion of this game and then i mean but i thought even the bigger thing danny like the nuggets are an offensive team and yeah it would have been nice if they could have hit a few more threes to and maybe they could have made it interesting if they had shot better and golden state had shot worse from three although golden state has better shooters but draymond green was was able to control Nikola Jokic quite well and he usually these numbers as the primary defender thing can be misleading but on a guy who posts up a lot usually it's not and ESPN tracked Green as holding Jokic to three out of 12 when he was the primary defender and so that was and I thought Green used his mind so well in that matchup to me whether it was all the little screens they love to run for Jokic and the cuts like Green is able he's quicker than anybody else who guards Jokic he's smarter than anyone else who guards Jokic he's able to beat him into the spot you're not getting Jokic on the move really on some of these plays green Jokic can kind of back him down but green can get a little lower center of gravity and then when Jokic likes to spin off of him green anticipates that and he's ready and he still gets a hand not just up but kind of in Jokic's space as he goes to that hook shot that can be so devastating and so Jokic finished overall 12 out of 25 from the field with 25 points and that's and had six assists but that's something that Golden State can absolutely live with in this series. To me, the most telling part of Jokic's stat line was actually the number two, and that was the number of free throw attempts he had in the entire contest. And Jokic wasn't getting to the line. The wor- and, and there were maybe yeah. a couple of plays that were on the border maybe you could have called, but I don't think there were many foul, even consideration yeah. plays. H- hook shots don't draw fouls. His hook shots are extremely effective, but you do not get fouled on hook shots usually. That was a part of why the Denver Nuggets only took 13 free throws. I joked before the game that 
as a Scott Foster Ed Malloy game, we could see a lot of we could see a lot of fouls, but there weren't that there weren't that many foul worthy plays. You know, like that's the difference between that and the Celtics Nets game we opened with was that there were a lot of fouls in that game and there were fewer in this contest. Another huge element of game one, which I don't think will be as representative of the rest of the series, was aggressive Aaron Gordon working against the Denver Nuggets. Well, I mean, either aggressive Aaron Gordon is going to work against the Denver Nuggets or passive Aaron Gordon is going to work against the Denver Nuggets because he took, it was 0 of 3 from 3. None of these misses are close. He's got, he's like double clutching his jumper, shooting on the way down. Like it looks awful. He was stepping in for a couple of jumpers, didn't make those, missed a couple of layups as well. 3 of 10 for him. And in 26 minutes, he got into it with Clay and then became a little villain with the crowd as well. But yeah, he played extremely poorly, didn't have any kind of an impact on defense either in his 26 minutes. So that was, and they need him to play extremely well, obviously, if they're going to compete in games in, in the series and have more than eight points. And, and get like little duck-ins off of switches against the Warriors' smaller guards and stuff. He just wasn't really able to do that in this one. How um, do you think Steph Curry looked? What else we got from this? Yeah, so he came off the bench, the thinking being that he was on about a 24-minute limit and didn't want to start the game and then sit for you know 40 minutes in real time and come back in. He said he learned from Clay Thompson that that was difficult. And so they ended up bringing him off the bench, as they did actually in when he last came back from injury in the playoffs in 2018 against the Pelicans game two. I thought he looked bad. I'll be honest, in ter- athletically, you know, he's going to be able to make shots. He's going to have gravity. He's always going to be a valuable player. But the few times that he tried to attack off the dribble, I thought it looked poor. He There was one play that really stood out when he got Jermichael Green, who's not a great isolation defender, and just his handle didn't look very tight. He didn't look like he had much explosion to try and attack off the dribble a little bit so that that was a little discouraging but it's his first game back we'll see how that evolves but it it wasn't athletically he did not look very dynamic in that first game ended up 5 of 13 and had 16 points in his what ended up being 22 minutes um, the, t- the timing of the series yeah. could could work to the Warriors' advantage where Game 2 is on Monday, but then Game 3 isn't until Thursday, and then I believe Game 4 is Sunday. So that gives him time. And there, there are murmurs. Uh, Mark Spears had this on Sunday that Michael Porter Jr. is not ruling out a return in this series, what that exactly means and whether he's available. And, and also, should the Warriors go up 2-0 or 3-0, potentially, would you even, at that point, it's just kind of like, well, why? So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But Curry, I agree with you. I didn't think he looked great in game one physically, but he will have time to get right until the Warriors are really being put into difficulty. Let's see. What else from this game? Andrew Wiggins being uh, being more of like a power forward slasher. I thought it worked well for him. I thought he was, you know, he didn't have to be a huge part of the offense. Actually, against the Nuggets, didn't have to be a huge part of the defense either because Draymond took those assignments and Kevon Looney on, in the minutes that he played on Jokic. So Wiggins, you know, was a more modest, modest job, but he attacked at different times, tried to get downhill a little bit. And something you talked about was potentially using him in some pick and roll actions because the matchups are a little bit different. Using who? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. As, as the ball handler, when you've got those three shooters around them, um, which I don't think we yeah, didn't I mean, see much the, of that, but yeah. it's a possibility they could go no. to. They, they did it a couple of times, and I think Wiggins, if he can get downhill at all, Jokic isn't a great rim protector in space, so Wiggins should be able to get there. He's got to just be really aggressive. Like if Jokic will probably just stand like really like literally under the basket on some of his pick and rolls, which might be how they decide to defend that. The thing that Slater suggested, which I think they'll try, 
is have putting Nikola Jokic on Andrew Wiggins when the Warriors go to I don't know we'll have to come up with a name for this this new lineup with the three guards Wiggins and Draymond uh but we'll have to see what they do there but having him on Draymond was just a problem because Draymond is just too good of a screener too cagey they just played this game with these guys for too long and the Nuggets just can't really keep up with these guys in space so Jokic putting him on Wiggins the problem there is that Wiggins can shoot but I think given the type of shots that the Warriors were getting with that lineup letting Wiggins get some open three-pointers off of help is not the end of the world I mean they'll probably just put Wiggins in the corner and you know maybe they'll just try and have Wiggins drive you could also go Wiggins handling the ball and pick and roll with Curry screening for him and then that forces Jokic to guard Curry off a switch or pool off a switch something like that I mean there's we'll see whether they're intentional enough about that to actually like put the ball in Wiggins hands in that way and maybe even that in itself could be a win but that's not a panacea it'll it maybe could plug up the first hole in the dike, but will create many others, I'm guessing, as well. Uh, I, th- I like the Warriors' plan. They started Looney. Jordan Poole is not, did not come off the bench. We'll see what happens in the next game. I think they should feel comfortable enough after this first game that they might just do the Curry off the bench thing again. I mean, maybe he'll, they'll raise his minutes limit from like 24 to 28, but especially if Michael Malone is also going to treat this like it's game 84 of the regular season, the way they did game 83 with like all bench units with DeMarcus Cousins, like at least just put Will Barton out there with him or something, man. Like they that was just not a, a way to win a basketball also, game. Also, like I, Boogie, I thought, Boogie got tossed, yeah. mentioned that. Oh yeah, yeah, that was great. And he was tossed in the most inefficient fashion possible where he just got two technicals 20 seconds apart. So it cost two points instead of just a one technical ejection, which <laughs> would have just been only one. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, Malone should have been way more aggressive with the lineups and the minutes in game one, knowing that they're reintegrating stuff, knowing that these guys haven't played together that much knowing that Kerr was still kind of hunting out some of the lineups etc and I, I just thought he didn't really do that enough Kerr actually went to Bielitsa some guarding Jokic I thought Bielitsa was like reasonably okay there like those guys know each other from the Serbian national team I, it wasn't so bad that I would not try to steal a couple of minutes that way uh, until it really falls apart and starting Looney I think I don't think you want to start Draymond on Jokic necessarily at this point because why well, get him into foul trouble early Early. you've got that card that you can play later Draymond can come on to him fresh at the end of halves or if he really starts to get out of control early on I like the plan of anytime Jokic brought the ball up Looney just like pressured him all the way out near half court like because Jokic isn't going to blow by you in that situation Looney used to be able to guard guards like so why not just take that opportunity to tire him out Looney's not going to play that many minutes Looney also got a ton of offensive rebounds off those situations I was talking about where they put two on the ball and Jokic was away from the rim. Uh, the Warriors staggered Draymond and Iguodala with just to have like one playmaker on the floor. Iguodala had a nice back door to pool, for example. Um, the Warriors also went to a box and one on Bryn Forbes at the start of the second quarter. Um, I don't know, anything the Nuggets can do here other than like putting Jokic on Wiggins against that lineup. You brought up the, ro- um, the rotational stuff. Play your play your best players more. Have a theory of have a theory of the lineup every competitive second of the game. Other than that kind of stuff, not yeah, a ton. I, I I would try maybe some Jokic pick and rolls as the ball handler, or even kind of like snug pick and rolls with the smallest guy on the floor. You know, whoever Curry or Pools man screening for Jokic on the ball, so it's a little bit harder to get through it potentially. Um, 
Jokic, the one part of his game that actually has regressed from a year ago is his three-point shooting. And I think like his pick and pops, like he tried to be more aggressive, but he was 0 for 4. He's shooting, I think, 21% from three over the last and six weeks frequ- or so. And his frequency has dropped significantly as well. It's now, yeah. Schumann had this, I think it's like 15% of his attempts, which is a lot less than it was before. Yeah. He, he's and, and I think just mentally for him it's like he just has to get in the mindset of I'm gonna bomb away right I think he passed a mental test against Gobert in that 2020 series when he wasn't really able to post him up and so he started really bombing from the outside and his shooting is what a big part of what enabled Jamal Murray to go so crazy in that series because Jokic wasn't really scoring the post very much everyone remembers that one hook shot that he hit over Gobert at the very end of game seven but other than that he wasn't really that effective against Rudy other than just shooting pick and pop threes but he's got to shoot more of those I think just be save some energy and also just to open the floor up for the rest of these nuggets they just you know more Morris pick and rolls with Jokic get him on the move that type of stuff might might be helpful make more threes okay um (laughs) That's uh, Austin Rivers is probably. I don't think he adds that much defensively for like hounding Steph or anything like that. Do they go with more Forbes? Maybe that's the way to do it. Like you're an offensive team anyway, and you're not stopping him. But these are not. You know, Facundo Campazzo was suspended. I don't think he's going to be some big help here either. I learned that Vlaco Chanchar has come back from his broken foot. That was nice in, in garbage time. Would you consider maybe some Zeke Naji instead of Cousins? Open the floor up a, a little bit that way. Would you consider even playing Najee some at the four and Gordon at the three? Najee can shoot, like get some more size and athleticism on the floor. I don't know how much they've ever even played that way. There aren't, I don't really see many answers on it. There aren't a ton. What's next? Bucks Bulls, the most ah! surprisingly competitive of the games, I would say, of of the first weekend. However, part of that is because the offenses were absolutely ghastly. This whole game was absolutely ghastly. Half court offensive ratings for both teams: seventy two point five for the Bulls, sixty nine point nine for the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of that was, uh, I mean, that's like what the fuck, Bucks? Like we're doing this again, really? And and okay, they didn't shoot great, but how many how many terrible shooting games are they going to have in the playoffs at this point and yeah I, I really just was it just bad shooting or was there more to it than that I will admit that I didn't expect this game to be especially when Milwaukee went out to a went out to an early lead I didn't expect it to be as close so I didn't watch the first half as intently I know Milwaukee shot they shot six of 22 on threes in the first half though that was better than Chicago who was three of 17 in that first half from long distance yeah. oh, oh and I mean all right you can complain Milwaukee all right we're only 10 out of 38 from three and Middleton and Holiday combined for a two of 11 but you know Connaughton it was one out of six Lopez was one out of five. But yeah, the Bulls were even worse. You know, like Levine and Vucevic were both two out of 10. The Bulls were seven of 37 from downtown. So I I don't think you can blame your shooting because the Bulls were just as bad. Now, one nice thing for Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo was plus 19 in 34 minutes. So maybe you don't really have that much to worry about if you're killing them like that. And the Bulls had no answer for Giannis other than Alex Caruso drawing consecutive offensive fouls against him. And Caruso was wonderful defensively. He really was. But, and I mean, uh, Caruso, that, yeah. that stretch in the fourth quarter when Milwaukee couldn't get anything offensively. And there was a portion of that. Like Chicago deserves a lot of credit. And even, I mean, their, their key defenders did a nice job. But also, like I thought DeRozan did a better job 
job defensively than I expected from him. Yeah, yeah. This was one of the best, like, defense and rebounding. He took a charge. Like, he he competed out there pretty hard. I was impressed by the way he played. Because they went after him a reasonable amount with Holiday and Middleton, and I thought he, he wasn't a liability. Now, DeRozan had a brutal offensive game, 6 of 25 from the field, though he did make six free throws, turned the ball over three times. That's... It's not a common trade-off for DeMar DeRozan, but it is one that you also Patrick Williams only t- attempted three shots in 23 minutes, something to keep an eye on. I, yeah, so I mean, part of it is you you expect regression to the mean overall. I think that even though the Bucks shot better and everything else, they, they're just a better team. I expect regression to the mean to help Milwaukee more. But you also had some of those elements that make you remember, oh yeah, did I... How confident really am I in a Mike Budenholzer coach team to maximize their potential, to take advantage of the circumstances, to adjust their game plan, and to actually have their best player on the floor instead of using a defensive sub in the last minute and a half of a close game? They were up three. Yes, Giannis had five fouls. But you took out, is he a two-time defensive player of the year? I believe he's a one-time. No, just one. Yeah, but maybe the best playoff defensive player, certainly a top five playoff defensive player up three the other team has the ball and Mike Budenholzer took him out of the game Giannis out of the game they got two very good shots one was a Vucevic floater that he missed and then Vucevic just missed a, another layup he couldn't make anything on the interior unfortunately and you know so they got away with it right and then he also didn't call timeout to get him back on the floor for offense when they had a chance then and get him back on the floor for offense but also then potentially an ensuing defensive possession as well uh I, I mean that was insane like I remember also like there was another time when he, he back in 2015 against Brooklyn for the Hawks when he brought Al Horford in with like one he was had five fouls he brought him in with one minute left in a close game it's just like what a wuss man like are you kidding me it's it's a minute and 30 left it's so it's like, so far go, from you like- could win the game with a stop Leave him in the fucking game. And the worst case scenario is exactly what you're doing. You're like you're taking your best player off the floor. There is a chance that he doesn't get that foul. But is that chance 100%? Obviously not. Is it 50%? Probably not. And it was infuriating in the moment. And the possibility of the Bucks, you know, like extending the series built primarily because their coach is totally afraid of foul trouble was, was very frustrating. Also, this was more of a regular season rotation from him. We saw, in, despite it being, you know, close in the fourth quarter, four different Bucks played 10 or more minutes off the bench. Connaughton is going to be trusted. He's going to be a part of that. I'm not, and Portis probably too, but Grace Allen played 18 minutes. Javon Carter played 10 minutes in this contest. Yeah, George Hill was unavailable. He was. And otherwise it could have been 10 players who played at least 10 minutes in this game for Milwaukee. And not only that, I mean, Giannis at 34. And so I just, but well Giannis only played 34 because of the foul trouble I mean and even if they I didn't think that his Budenholzer's decision on the foul earlier on other than taking him out with a minute 30 left was was bad um yeah, and I don't think you need to push Middleton and Holiday above 39 Especially not in this series. Against this opponent, yeah. But, yeah, and Connaughton maybe could have played more, but he wasn't making shots. I mean, to me, Wes Matthews did a great job. I was 
I railed that they didn't play Matthews enough in the Heat series two years ago because he was the only guy, even though the plus minus numbers weren't great, but he was the only guy they had at least at that time because they didn't put Giannis on him who was able to contain Butler and not just get totally overwhelmed in that series. And so, but he played 27 minutes. I mean, he's at his age, you don't expect that much more. Like Lopez played 32. I mean, I think as bad as the Bucks looked in this game offensively, the fact that Brooke Lopez was able to play 32 minutes he had when they didn't call timeout to put Giannis back in he had a huge pick and roll finish uh, when Vucevic they had to bring Vucevic way out on the floor and pick and roll defense and the Lopez got behind the defense and and picked up an and one that basically ended the game or not didn't end the game but came close to it uh yeah so so I mean that and Lopez had some big blocks as well so the fact that he looked good to me and we saw him some in the regular season he looked all right but to and this isn't like the highest level opponent but to be able to bang around for 32 minutes and be effective like this that makes me feel much better about the Bucks championship hopes even if this game was just a totally miserable for them um from the Bulls standpoint I mean some of these numbers Vooch 9 to 27 DeRozan 6 to 25 he was terrible from mid-range too what did he shoot from mid-range you asked about DeRozan 4 yeah. to 15 yeah that was and Holiday Matthews like those guys did a good job and these are also pretty decent quality of shots that he was hitting throughout a lot of the year and the Bulls overall were 8 to 23 for mid-range I do think that the Bulls can play better than this I think that they have some things that they can get to to get decent shots like the Levine Vooch pick and roll when Lopez is guarding Vooch that's because they don't want to put Giannis on Vooch uh Giannis he actually did a pretty bad job on some of those post Vooch was able to move he, he Giannis is a bad post defender like you I don't think he's really he struggles to guard centers in the post that's why Philly is actually kind of a good matchup for the Bucks because you they can't go to the Giannis at center lineup and I actually thought when Vooch was guarding Giannis he did okay you know they got hit that was during the period he got some great help with Caruso but when Vooch was on Giannis during a stretch in the fourth the Giannis missed a jumper tried to drive on Vooch and got stripped and then tried to drive again and Caruso stepped in for a, a, what was an obvious charge so I mean maybe you can guard him okay especially if the Bucks aren't making shots and they can bring in help from guys like Caruso on the perimeter but I do think you know Vucevic took 10 threes like that's he just needs to take that many in the series he just needs to actually make them like he was open uh, he was aggressive shooting it like Chicago I think taking more threes is something that they needed to do Milwaukee you know, Brooke Lopez is not going to get out there they don't want to put Giannis on him so they're not going to switch like that shot will be open for Vucevic and I think if he can make it it could really transform things and Levine likewise should be able to get open on the pick and roll with a good screen to get his three-pointer as well he just couldn't hit that either so I, I do think there are things that Chicago can do on the offensive end and like getting up 37 three-point attempts is good I know the Bucks allow teams to do more of that and the but the Bulls that haven't shot threes throughout the year and they went that route I thought Donovan did well to start Alex Caruso and now Caruso was one of five missing some wide open looks like that's going to be a problem but Ayo Desudmu is not going to make that any better. Kobe White actually had a good game for them with 12 points and was one of the few guys who was kind of dynamic, making some shots, creating some stuff. Uh, let's see. Tristan Thompson only played seven minutes. That was good. They actually went to Derek Jones Jr. at center some. He played 10. I thought that was a better option. Potentially, they even, against Giannis at center, they even went with Jones at center. But somehow they had 
they went small with a, a, a small forward size guy at center and still had one shooter on the it was floor. Crazy. <laughs> uh, but I, I wouldn't be, if I'm the Bulls, I wouldn't be scared of matching up Vucevic against Giannis at center. Let's see how it goes. Let's post up Vucevic and see if he can draw some fouls uh, on Giannis or just scare Budenholzer of going away from that lineup. Because I think that's the, that's the best offensive group, obviously, for the Bucks. So, I mean, do you have any hope for the Bulls now in this series? I think they can be competitive game to game. I would be surprised if they won four out of six. So it depends on how you're defining terms here. Well, we both picked a sweep. I think they. I think there's a reasonable chance that they win a game. But I, I, my instinct is that a sweep is more likely than the Bulls winning game at this point because the Bucks will play. Both teams will play better, but I think offensively. But I think the Bucks have more room to roam. Yeah, we always say that, and I mean the Milwaukee Bucks really had some awful offensive games even in last year's playoffs they're one of the worst offensive teams to win a championship the nets were not a good defensive team they really struggled against them until harden came back holiday and middleton those guys were trying to isolate and i thought that they largely just didn't have great matchups to do that like holiday he did have one bucket on Derek Derek jones jr but i wouldn't consider that a great matchup middleton kept trying to go at caruso and caruso wasn't interested in letting him do that i certainly think the bucks need to go more pick and roll at vucevic the bucks run some of the least pick and roll particularly you know, maybe you could even do a kind of one, four, five stuff, maybe, or you can try Giannis in a four, five pick and roll to get Vucevic and then have a guard screen or anything you can do to involve Vucevic in pick and roll action and then try to play out of that, particularly if it's Middleton, who's a really good passer. Uh, I think just to get, get the Bulls in rotation where they can't wall off the rim as easily as they did, where everyone's moving around. It's not as easy for Caruso to make his help reads and jump in front of guys. Those are things that that I would try to do more. For DeRozan to get him going, there aren't really that many weak defenders to go at, but I think obviously the Vooch-DeRozan pick and roll, but I think DeRozan just needs to look for Vooch more. And Vooch is going to need to make some threes and and get them out. Like Vooch took 27 shots in this game. That's insane. Um and it had 24 points yeah i think if i had to redo it now i'd give the bulls a game in this series i think game two is going to be a blowout though we'll see i think both teams will play better offensively for sure but if Giannis just plays more minutes this is a comfortable win for the bucks and the bulls have zero answers for Giannis in transition whatsoever the opener on sunday featured the miami heat absolutely crushing the atlanta hawks Trey oh Young's worst game in terms of field goal percentage of his entire NBA Oh, oh I'm sorry. Can I say one more thing on sure. Bucks Bulls first? Sorry, I, I had this note I forgot about. It. Bulls get a stop down three with 38 seconds left. We talk about this all the time. 89-86. Now, this was a turnover as Wes Matthews tried to drive along the baseline, but 38 seconds left. And I thought normally you want to let it play out, but I think they should have tried to get the two for one there down three. They didn't. Levine comes down, works it around, and I thought it was a great shot that he took. It took him a little while to get it off. 30 seconds left. And, you know, like Kendrick Perkins tweeted what a terrible shot it was. Like, no, like you need to get the shot up fast and it needs to be a three. So it doesn't need to be a three, but it certainly helps. And he was open. He's a good shooter from out there, even if he was struggling in this game. And they couldn't afford to waste any more time and not get the two for one anyway. So he had to take what was available. So I thought that was good. And then four second differential, Donovan instructed them to foul Drew Holiday. And then he hit two free throws and the game was over up five. Four second differential, I would have let it play out. They had a timeout. I think they even had two timeouts. 
Yeah, they or did. at least at least so, try a trap first. Like I, I'm a little bit, I'm oh, a sure, little bit sure. more aggressive on fouling there, but I think you do something first. Well, I think like you know maybe if the Bucks play it absolutely perfectly and release the ball when right as the shot clock's expiring and hit the rim and it bounces around a little bit, maybe there's a possibility you wouldn't be able to get a shot. But I would much rather have the ball down but it's very rare that teams are able to do that i would much rather have the ball down three with two seconds left inbounding in the front court than fouling and potentially putting myself down two possessions like to me a three second differential that's a little dicier four is probably closer to four and a half that's enough time for me because even if they shoot right at the end like you could still have even two seconds to get a three off and there's so little time they probably couldn't foul you there either so i would have let it play out Certainly would have trapped to see if I could get him to go early or force a turnover or something. But I think you just got to play defense there. And they just, they followed, they kind of waited to, they trapped, but then they fouled in the trap as well. It didn't really make a lot of sense. So uh, I wasn't, wasn't really a fan of how that played out. Yeah, let's, let's talk about this Atlanta Miami game, which at the start of the season, Danny, I thought that Miami could be just an unbelievable playoff defense. And uh, they certainly didn't do anything to dispel that notion today. They did not. And Trey Young, I was leading into this, his one for 12 from the field tied his lowest field goal percentage of any game, regular season or playoffs in his career. It was a January game, his rookie season against the Chicago Bulls that he also went one for 12. Trey did make six of seven from the line, but also had six turnovers, six of the 18 that the Hawks had, which led to 12 Miami steals. And it, it was a dominant defensive performance. Also, during the competitive portion of the game, Miami was hitting their was hitting their threes. Duncan Robinson was eight for nine. P.J. Tucker was four for four. Jimmy Butler even hit one early. And I think that there will, there will be a clearer understanding with these one-eights later on of what is the talent disparity between these teams. And I think it's a mix of the two between these teams played two high stress games. They had to travel and, and all, and the emotions of everything else, but also in both cases, they're facing a significantly better opponent. And I think that transition can be really hard too. Yeah, I think so. The heat plan was awesome on Trey. Trey, no chance to attack Bam out of bio. They had to stay out of that. Not being able to have the center, as the screener was a big problem for the Hawks offense not having Capella too is a better screener more of a threat in the offensive glass playing better than a Kongu probably a better alley-oop threat than a Kongu just better chemistry overall with Trey Hurt as well um they put PJ Tucker on Trey and I thought he actually did a pretty good job of staying in front of him Trey didn't seem to quite have his normal juice and he was definitely rushing a lot of shots as well which we saw early in the Cleveland game but then he was able to settle down that never happened in this one it, it was a huge blowout already at halftime and then it became even more so in the third as Trey wasn't able to get going at all and I mean this is the number two offense they are missing Capella John Collins was back which helped a little bit they couldn't hit a three as well although again you know trey's threes were very rushed uh, i thought not in rhythm for him so yeah miami switching was a big issue we've seen the nate mcmillan you know you thought he had trey young so he'd be in a little bit better a position but this personnel is probably even better for miami than their 2020 personnel was because now they have kyle lowry 
and there really just wasn't any kind of a plan i was just at one point i wrote a tweet with like four exclamation points because the hawks actually ran an ato designed to take advantage of the switching where gallo set a screen on a switch got inside position they gave him a pocket pass and i think he either hit a jumper or got fouled or something but the rest of the atos were okay let's just post up Danilo Gallinari, <laughs> right it was just no imagination and the hawks haven't played that way like they don't do anything really off the ball that's going to cause confusion they're not a continuity offense they don't do a lot of improvisation unless it's in transition mcmillan did say in his interview that we need to get the ball moving from side to side and that's definitely true against a switching defense you get the switch but they didn't do any of the hey let's get bam switched onto trey and then get off the ball and attack elsewhere the way like the celtics did in the 2020 playoffs and other teams have tried to do and like the overall effort and pressure was amazing from the heat as well uh max Struess starting is really interesting they went to that i think spo was like they lost a bunch of games in a row including that game against the warriors backups and the game in philly against a bunch of philly's backups and that's when they were like okay we're gonna give markeith morris and victor oladipo a chance they lost a bunch of games in a row and they said fuck it now we're i'm gonna put in my guys gabe vincent you're back in the rotation Struce, you're actually gonna start now we're gonna start and, and Struce is so much better defensively than either hero or duncan robinson and so just having nowhere to attack at all was just so flummoxing i think for atlanta early I don't know what, what else you got from this game. It was really just such a destruction. That's really about all I had. Yeah, I, the Hawks at one point were three of eleven in the paint and two of seven at the rim. Just the intensity and athleticism advantage, which we'll talk about in the next game too. We were worried about Akangu not being able to handle Bam. Oh, Bam went right at him a, a one few of times. The, yeah, Jimmy Butler. You mentioned you tweeted this at the time. Jimmy Butler looking good in the triple threat. Yeah, yeah, triple threat. For those who don't know, is just more of an old school type of Tracy term McGrady. where you catch the ball. You, yeah, yeah, you catch the ball inside the arc usually with the live dribbles. So the triple, the three threats are you can shoot it, drive it, or pass it. And Butler has awesome footwork. He was blowing by whoever was guarding him a lot of the time. They didn't have much much help at the rim. He was getting right there. He was too physical. The plan for attacking Trey was a different one than the one we've seen a lot of times, where it wasn't posting up, it wasn't him being guarded by a smaller player. Trey was actually on Kyle Lowry, and they knew he would be on Lowry because they didn't want to put him on Struce. They eventually put him on Struce, but they don't want him trade chasing guys around screens either. So he was on Lowry, who was a lower usage guy, but Lowry is very physical. And so they set a lot of wedge screens, cross screens to get either Bam or Butler into the post using Lowry, Trey's man. And Trey was not really going to help there at all. He's not going to like chuck the guy coming across the lane or anything like that. So they were getting great position for Butler and Bam, getting those guys to the foul line early on. It was the Hawks' worst shooting half of the season in the first half, and it didn't get much better. Um, Ultimately, I do think if it gets serious in this series maybe Miami will just want to match up all of Bam's minutes with Trey there was a a stretch where it was Robinson Hero and Deadman all on the floor together with Trey still out there and the the Hawks got a little bit of traction there towards the end of the first Trey didn't individually but some of the other guys did I mean you could tell Trey was discombobulated because he threw three lob passes that were just way off target John Collins came back. I thought he might be able to give them something, but it was his first game back. He actually played more minutes than he was supposed to. He was supposed to be on like a 15-minute limit. He played 21. We'll see how his plantar fasciitis responds. I'm not sure whether it's the hand or the plantar fasciitis that was the big limiting factor for him. Probably the latter. Um, 
He's probably like getting some injection to play. They might have brought him back early due to the Capella injury. If he can start, I think they should start him though because their offense was just so bad and they just need someone who is just better at slipping out of plays on on the offensive end and like getting on the offensive glass and stuff than Okongwu who wasn't terrible today, but he wasn't helping. And yeah, Miami shot lights out. Obviously, Robinson was ridiculous coming off of screens, going to his right. He had 27 points off the bench. Gabe Vincent, I thought, was really good defensively with his quickness as well. So just a total destruction. They have no one to guard Butler. Gallo, like post-ups were the only offense for the Hawks. He led them with 17 points. But I, I think the Hawks can play better. But I, I thought maybe that they could surprise them. Oh, uh, Bogdan was terrible. He didn't eight. score. He was 0 for 8 as well. So those guys can heat up a little bit. But it's not like they were getting like wide open threes on this 10 out of 36. Like they... They're a good shooting team and they can make tough shots, but it they weren't like checking the wind on these threes or anything like that. And in terms of adjustments, <laughs> it's so hard when you're you just don't have the DNA to go against the switching defense and And you don't have the personnel to stop them when you're on defense. Yeah. Maybe you start Collins and play him with a Kongu to just get some more physicality and rim defense. It seems like that's their. Start, it seems like start that's Bogdan, their best chance. Start Bogdan as well. He's a little bit better defensively and probably better than Herder. I don't know. I I don't really see it uh, much because and Trey's just got to be more dynamic as well. Like they're not going to just start running a bunch of off ball shit or you know fake screens and slips or they have nobody else who can make a pass and do like the DHO stuff against them. So I mean Trey's just going to have to beat his guy more and he'll do that. But I don't think enough to really be efficient. Maybe the the Hawks hit some threes and the Heat don't, and that'll be their formula for being competitive. I don't see much else other than that. Let's turn to New Orleans and Phoenix and credit New Orleans for making it competitive down the end. Where do you want to start on this one? We, we This one, I didn't watch it in real time. I caught up on it, so I wasn't as much a part of the conversation as it was going on. So what were like the big things you wanted to focus on here? Again, full credit to the Pelicans for making the game close, but that allowed Chris Paul to have a completely ridiculous fourth quarter, 19 points, seven of eight from the field. And then he said after... After the game that he could hear Willie Green and the Pelicans saying, go under, go under. So he took the threes that were presented there, three of four from long distance for, for CP. Yeah, I think all of those, well, no, I think he hit one in the first, but he hit two in a row in that crazy stretch at the start of the fourth. He did, and also got to the line for two and had a, had a layup, Chris Paul, Chris Paul hitting a layup. and He had a couple of layups, actually. And so I, I thought he was sublime during that stretch and, and overall I thought he did really well but it was also the the level of capability and execution for the Phoenix Suns particularly on the defensive end they I, I thought Crowder kind of in more like help weak side capacities was making things hard they you know Bridges was was doing a nice job they were making life difficult for Ingram and CJ and then the other huge thread for me which was something we anticipated before the series is New Orleans lack of of 16 game players coming back to bite them. Part of the reason Chris Paul went off in the fourth quarter was because Devontae Graham was on the floor and Chris Paul can light him up pretty easily. Jackson Hayes, just I don't think he could be a part of this series, period. And great part of their story, but doesn't do enough offensively, doesn't do enough defense. Yeah, I don't even know if he's a great part of their story. He was, he was, an, like he was an important <laughs> part of it. And like he's, he, he's not like the most touching character. No, no, no. We'll, but I mean, we'll but him that, but, going from being yeah. as negative a player as he was early to being an actual positive as they made a run into the playoffs. No, that I, I think that is 
it is a part of their story. But not only that, but, I mean, yes, Valanciunas did have 25 rebounds in this game, 13 offensive rebounds, in part. Yeah, 12 of which were off his own misses. It felt that way at bare. I mean, he did, Valanciunas did miss 12 shots in the in the paint in this game he was six of 18 in the paint in this game uh i i thought they looked better with nance out there whether nance was playing the four or playing the five and that gives willie green a lot to think about do you go hard after the underdog strategies for the players who brought you there is it hard enough to beat the suns i think you do it i think you lean heavily into nance as best you can murphy and alvarado and if you need to go Najee marshall more off of just no jackson hayes minimize valanchunas and then lean on your two best guys yeah and, and just playing Devonte graham th- this is one of those ones where they made a nice little comeback at the end of the third when they were taking advantage of JaVale McGee quite a bit defensively. And Devontae just happened to be out there. And maybe his gravity was helping a little bit, but he wasn't doing anything. And then CP came back in and they left him out there rather than going to Alvarado right away because, you know, Jose Alvarado is not allowed to play at any point before the second and fourth quarters, obviously. That's just what God has decreed. So Devontae was out there and then there was a foul right at the beginning. And then they went on this crazy run of three minutes where actually the Pels kept up during that crazy Chris Paul run like CJ and Larry Nance were scoring right back on every possession as Paul was just making a bunch of threes and yeah and Chris did actually hit three threes all three of his threes in that stretch when they were saying go under which you mentioned but yeah they couldn't get Devontae off the floor they couldn't get Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado in there until they finally took a timeout and you know Paul was just going crazy even though again they didn't lose anything off the lead there because CJ and Nance are really scoring and when it was Nance against JaVale McGee I thought the Pels that was a nice advantage for the Pels Nance hit a pick and pop three which is good to see him take uh I thought that CJ really got going he overall was nine out of 25 but he really got going at the start of the fourth uh, end of the third as well going at Tory Craig and even CP a little bit as well uh I like they tried to ISO Ingram early on against Chris Paul number one they their starting lineup has zero spacing to do that with but number two I think CJ is the better option against Chris Paul because Ingram's gonna like try and back down and Chris Paul is too good for that but CJ can use his quickness and get some separation and shoot over the short arms of Paul so yeah and, and I was pretty enraged when Valanciunas came back in after this stretch where like Nance was getting cooked on defense by Paul on these switches but like putting Valanciunas in wasn't going to help that, no right and they're actually looking much better on offense with Nance out there I want to talk about DeAndre Eaton's game sure though. 21 points 10 of 15 hit a three but I thought it was the most intimidating I've ever seen him be at the rim and he was a huge reason like he had four blocks he was a huge reason why Valanciunas couldn't make anything the Pels offensive performance in the first half they were three of 23 in the paint in the first half and a big part of that was Aiton Bridges stepping in as well just a, a ton of hands ton of intimidation you know the the one play that I remember the most was Valanciunas I mean this is what they teach you to do gets the offensive rebound and doesn't come down with it he just like keeps it above his head and tries to go back up and he's got a pretty massive standing reach and DeAndre Ayton just like stuffed it down his throat it was ridiculous and so that was really impressive like the athleticism and force that the Suns played with I thought totally discombobulated a a lot of the Pels players uh, particularly in that first half 
Overall, in the full game, New Orleans 19 of 56 in the paint, 2 of 22 on what were listed as floaters. Um, ah! That's that. That's not great. And I thought this. Yeah, I thought the Suns' defense did a did a nice job overall. And it is yeah, New Orleans did get a bunch of offensive rebounds, but they got those offensive rebounds off of shots that were blocked and contested around the basket. I I thought they were the, the Suns weren't giving up too much to me. Like they weren't giving up that many good shots. I also thought it was a nice, not dominant, but a nice Cam Johnson game, which is good considering some of the time that he's missed recently. Katie shots had that big one handed alley-oop which was awesome and the Suns don't need to they don't need to go too deep into the rotation but they have enough guys that they trust as long as they can stay healthy yeah I was a little worried about campaign he didn't have the the greatest game and JaVale to his credit had a great run in his first stint but then he got lit up in his second stint more in pick and roll when Hayes was in the game particularly at the start of the third the Suns just wore out the one four five pick and roll uh, and Chris Paul knows he can go. He's just too smart. He'll go to that anytime Hayes is in the game. Like starting him was just, he doesn't do anything out there. He hasn't done anything in these two playing games that they won. Like it just, they got to not start him and, and start Nance or even if you want to start Najee Marshall or something. like just, Or, tr- or just Trey Murphy. Someone out there who can guard. Yeah, well, yeah, Trey Murphy would be another one for sure. Um, the Suns, Crowder and Bridges, neither of them hit a three, but they were pretty good defensively. They went with Crowder on Ingram. And I like that match up ingram he doesn't necessarily play with power but he can be disrupted by power whereas bridges on cj he's better at getting over screen so that that was seemed like the right move there to go that also way that, i think that opens up more for crowder as a help defender because ingram doesn't move the same way that cj does off ball yeah no that's reasonable but i mean really nobody on this pelicans team moves much off ball and i think i think it was pretty obvious when the suns had a ton of assists early on and the pels didn't they actually finished with 20 assists on 36 field goals but the pels don't have anyone who can pass like i mean look at the, the starting lineup mccollum is really a natural shooting guard Ingram is for at least his role is probably a below average passer and doesn't really like get on top of the rim in a way or, or draw help the way those scorers can to find people they have no spacing which doesn't help much when you're you do below average passing like great passing can make up for bad spacing but it makes it harder for bad passing in particular because it's just it's easier to find guys at the three-point line in their spots than it is to like snake these passes in and that's where i think i actually i like nance as well i think they're better offensively with nance out there because he can actually handle the ball he can step out and shoot a three if he's wide open he's probably the best passer on the team honestly and then he can also roll to the basket and actually get it dunk. like he's been really good I think, although he did get cooked by Paul on a couple of switches in the fourth quarter. Maybe Devontae is actually the best passer on the team, but he's just too limited defensively. Yeah, so in terms of adjustments, Phoenix doesn't need to do anything they're a machine uh i think even herb jones did have a pretty good game when paul went off it was when jones was out of the game you probably need to play herb jones more than 31 minutes like you probably need to just i I think he's got more value added on paul because he can work around those screens particularly if you've got valanchunas in the game but even if you don't herb jones on chris paul every minute and then booker 
Had 25, was a little bit inefficient from two. Ingram was guarding him. I thought he they went that way. I thought he actually was pretty decent. But one of the things about getting Hayes out of the game in the starting lineup would be you could put Najee Marshall on Booker and if that's the way you wanted to go. Or Murphy. I don't know about Murphy. He he might just get cooked. Like, I, I, think he's I don't think you want to put Murphy experience. on Booker. You could play him in the game, just put him on someone else. Yeah, but it would free up Ingram to just do more on the offensive end. So maybe that is why you would start Marshall, give him a shot, and let Ingram just try to get off a little bit more offensively. And yes, no Valanciunas post-ups against DeAndre Ayton. That's not going to work. I think that's about all I've got here for this one. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't particularly convinced by the Pels to come off my idea that this would be a sweep. This is one of my favorite pods to do every year, but man, is it (laughs) exhausting with like two hours and 30 minutes of recording time. So we will call it quits here and we'll be back of course uh, on monday to talk about monday's game till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.